And welcome to. We actually haven't come up with a name for this yet, so we should probably spitball that now. Uh, we, uh, someone pitched. Who was it who pitched behind the screen? You pitched behind the screen. Hello. Let's just, we just, just go get the game of Rassilon behind the screen. Yeah, deal. I still like Rassilon Fidential. Rassilon <laughs> Fidential, I'm, I'm very. Emotionally I, I, I have no preference. <laughs> Way to have Excellent. fun with this. All right, Dan? We're trying to have a good time here. I can't think of words. We haven't been about, in this room okay. in so long. <laughs> the game of Rassilon Fidential behind the screen. Colon. Sure. Colon. <laughs> Attack of the Clones. <laughs> hyphen. Dawn of Justice. Dawn of Justice. <laughs> the Emancipation of One. Dash. <laughs> part, Eight part resistance. The Fantabulous yes. Emancipation of One Doctor Who. <laughs> part uh, one. <laughs> of seven. Also, the hey, everyone, thanks for listening to our season finale, which we recorded in June. And luckily, no other big shows ended yeah. their season. <laughs> the same exact week that we ended ours. Yes. Yeah. Couldn't have planned it better. Indeed. Welcome to our kind of special behind-the-screen Game of Rassilon Fidential episode of The Game of Rassilon. Uh, Michael had called it the the game of Rassilon of Rassilon. We're not going to use no, that I title. Didn't. That's bad. No. It's on the record on the previous it's on the finale. I'm on the record twice insisting we are not calling it that. We will not call it <laughs> but that. But you still, you know what? I'm not going to have this fight with you again, okay? I want, I uh, want this to be edited, so I want record saying I will call it that. Um, if deep will fakes, call deep it. fakes in the game of Razzalon. <laughs> it's, it's deep fakes all the way down. Um, I'm, I'm Ben Padden. I've been the game master and one of the two writery people of this. And let's just go around again and, uh, reintroduce ourselves for people who have presumably listened to our entire first season. If you haven't, what are you doing? Spoilers to follow. I am Riley Silverman, and I played the role of the Doctor. I'm Dan Peck, and I played the role of Travis, who will hopefully survive. Oh, oops. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm Michael Nixon. I'm your friendly engineer, also occasional Roman. Um, and uh, to address the elephant in the room, uh, the former fifth member of our cast will not be joining us on the journey to season two. Uh, uh, we wish her well, and uh, we're going to continue having big, fun adventures here on the Game of Rassilon. Indeed, and we'll be talking a little bit more about what we plan for season two uh, towards the end of the show. But let's uh, let's kick things off with uh, how is every how how is how is everyone? How are you how are you doing? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm missing yeah. this, truthfully. It's yeah. nice. It's nice being back here at Geeky Tees in Burbank, California. Yes. Yeah, it was fun walking in and seeing Donna, and she's like, they're already in there. I'm like, yeah. I was like, like, it's like so... Being, like, like I was going in, walking into Cheers. And like, yeah. Have my drink ready. Riley! <laughs> <laughs> it does help that there is also a studio audience in the, in the yeah. store, but... Um, I'm also... It's weird that they're in the store and we don't let them watch our show while we're yeah. recording it. They're not allowed in. They, mm. they, and they know what they did. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's weird because at the time of recording, the finale dropped, uh, on the Wednesday just gone, which was the 20 something, something? 7th, 20 something. 7th. Um, no, but we recorded right. it back in June. Like we recorded it months and months ago. So it's, yeah. it's in our, it, not considerable past, but it's in, it's, it's three, four months ago for us now. And, um, so I know that, uh, Dan and I were both re-listening to the entire show. And Riley, I don't know if you had an opportunity I, to. I can't stand listening to my own voice. It just it caused me so much dysphoria. So I very I very rarely do it. So I, I wasn't I, able to. Weirdly, I am very much the same way. But and and this is like completely uh, you, you, a compliment. You get gender dysphoria. 
Because <laughs> if you do, I can I can talk to you about it. And we can figure out what your path forward is. <laughs> I was trying to say We're a nice thing about everyone here. at this table, but I very much <laughs> love listening to the story that you know Ben and Michael crafted for us, and Riley, the character of the Doctor and your incarnation of it. It was just it made me get past my own personal hurdle of hating how I sound. But so uh, as as both a player of the game and someone who has listened, I want to thank everyone else in this room for uh, just a wonderful first season. Aww. Yeah, I I have to agree. Like re-listening to the first season from a as as detached as I can possibly be, just kind of refresh myself on what we actually ended up doing and what what made it into each episode. It was it was a real joy to kind of be rem- reminded of all of these really cool moments that popped up, particularly early on, because we recorded the first serial in what like November of last year. I yeah, think. It's, like we're, yeah, yeah, we're getting near almost a year ago. Yeah, wow. It's and uh, just f- for, from the perspective of like me and Michael, we've been working on this show now for almost two two years. Yeah, and even even before we recorded, <laughs> yeah. we had the like preliminary session where we played a game that was just out of the book. And yeah. I know I played the Twelfth Doctor, and everyone played like companions from the show. Mm-hmm. I was uh, Rory. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. and then like that was the thing we did, and we also like I had a meeting with 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 Michael and Ben at one point where we like talked about like what my doctor's history was, and like we figured that kind yeah. of stuff out beforehand. Like we designed like my doctor with with those two, so that was like a which you know, is process. really where Ben and I got the seed of like the the run post it too. That was yeah. all from that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I think, I think the fact setting up the mystery. I popped out. I think. I was yeah. Like, what if this? What if my doctor? Yeah, we had this, and we have stuff we still haven't revealed on the show. That mm-hmm. was like a thing we came up in that conversation that I'm like looking forward to finally like getting to because it's oh, yeah. fun to oh, see yeah. how it comes around. It's gonna be season two is gonna be uh, a tremendous amount of, of fun. Um, I guess that's, that's a, a great uh, place to start. Then is kind of the uh, the genesis of your characters. It, let's let's talk a little bit about that, uh, Riley. I think you you had arguably I think the the easier job, or maybe not too easy, because we're st- we're starting with an established character from the show. The Doctor yeah. is the lead of the show, Doctor Who. Um, but you, what were you? What was your thought process for making that character your own? Because I know that when we when we had our first preliminary conversations, um, the decision was to kind of start from one of the existing character sheets and kind of yeah. tweak it and build from there. So what was your thought process in making your character? Um, kind of so heavily rooted in in the 90s and that kind of uh that kind of central perk aesthetic for the TARDIS when how did all of that come about for you it kind of came out second nature like like I think you're right about that element of it kind of being easier because even though it's an established character it's also an established character that every performer who inhabits it changes it Mm. makes their own so like every actor who's played the doctor has played the doctor as their doctor and not as just like an amalgam of what came before it I mean, there's a few elements of the character that remain true across all incarnations, but at the same time, they are each regeneration's a unique character. But I, so I kind of, but I do think like there's elements of each performance that now, especially with newer doctors, that do tend to pull from previous doctors, mm-hmm. like most famously Matt Smith with Patrick Troughton, like there's that element to it. And so I think around the time that I was really starting to build this character, I think I was just wrapping up with Tom Baker's run in my watch through of Classic Who. And I just felt like Tom Baker's doctor most embodied like what i think of as the doctor like tom baker's and also peter capaldi's especially in seasons nine and ten were very much but i didn't want to just do capaldi because like i I mean i love capaldi but like we i think also i wanted a little bit more of like i don't know like a quirkiness to it Mm. or whatever but I, i liked the way that tom baker's character would kind of seem like put people on edge or or like the 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 thing i'm thinking of the most is when he's in uh 
um, City of Death, and mm. there's that whole scene where he like first meets the heiress, and like there's like that conversation where he's like kind of just being just a little bit like off-putting and goofy, but commands the room, mm. and that was the element that I thought of for my doctor. And so when I played as her, I always wanted to her to command the room, and I've played her as very like uh, I think I think it was pointed out by uh, by Mel at one point on the show that like the way that I played my doctor was that she always like over talked people and like got people in like logical loops until they didn't know what was happening and confused them <laughs> and that was just something that kind of came from playing her that wasn't like a thing that i originally sat down and was like this is how my doctor is going to go so i think i think the choice to make my character based off tom baker's character sheet was just like okay this is i i all the doctor's character sheets are relatively similar there's yeah. not a huge difference in any of them but that one just felt the most like what i was starting from as a character and so it was easy for me to like Instead of having to, like, spend time going, like, putting in points and, like, deciding, like, do I really think this doctor would have more ingenuity or more? I think it was easier to go, there's already some great cheats that exist. Let me just pick the one that feels the most like the doctor that I want to be, like, starting from. Mm. And then just figure out traits and, f- and flaws that happen to work more for what I'm doing. And I think that was, like, that. And then I'm rambling now. But the, the 90s thing really kind of just kind of came organically from itself, like... I liked the idea of my doctor dressing in like Doc Martens and like a skater skirt. And so I was like, well, that's a pretty 90 style. So I'll, yeah. I'll give her that. And then I really like the more cozy feel of a, of a cozy TARDIS. Like I like that vibe to it. So that kind of like, that's where the coffee shop vibe came from. I also really like, I, I, I always say that I'm like a, closeted steampunk fan because i've never like fully embraced <laughs> steampunk but i feel like doctor who satisfies my steampunk yeah. urges enough <laughs> that i don't need to so i was like what if i had like a cool like some sort of steam element to my tardis which is how i came up with the idea of like the console being almost, like, like made out of, like an old espresso machine yeah. so yeah it just kind of all felt like and then also knowing that Dan was going to play a character from the 90s, I think that helped because at one well, point that in wasn't mind, the original layout though. But you, but you had told me that before I yeah. designed mine. You told me that was your idea. So like, I think I think we I think you would like change before we had that meeting. You would change your mind to play Travis as this 90s 90s guy. And I had in my head, not knowing what what these two were going to do, I had in my head that maybe like your character was the character that my doctor met like while she was still working on her TARDIS. Like the way you get your Amy Pons or like where someone who like the doctor arrives has just regenerated, like is, is still trying to get back into space. And like, this is the companion that becomes like the first companion. Right. And then, the like, one who stumbles upon the doctor. Yeah. Uh, during their ordinary lives. Yeah. I completely yeah. thought that's how the first interaction would be too. And then we were thrown into a space yeah. zoo. So, Which you know. fine. But that, I think I had <laughs> yeah. written my, my doctor as a nineties character purposefully to kind of make that work as a as interesting an idea. and then we did nothing with that. yeah that's fine no but that's cool but well i mean consciously or unconsciously i think we were avoiding what the majority of the new series first stories are which is yeah that, which is you know the, the tardis has crashed the doctor has to fix it she has to you know reestablish her life in some way or another and reassemble it around a new group of people and it's yeah like, okay they've done that four times now or three well, times now it's probably they're gonna maybe do really it with twice Jaylica. i think i think because like i think with amy and i think hmm. with with the with Jody's doctor, yeah, mm. but I think like 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 Eccleston was just out running around having adventures when he stumbled upon Rose mm. and Clara with the doctor like actively sought Clara out. Mm. That's true. That's yeah, true. I I think. Don't you feel stupid now, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I usually do when it comes to Doctor Who. I mean, so, like, like, so, like doing that twice in in one span of series, like that's yeah. that's a lot. So. Yeah, it was something. I, yeah, we I think generally wanted to have sort of a timeless vibe yeah. with the show which i think the 90s thing has really contributed to yeah and i love that yeah as and, well. and we just want to do you know 
in the early the early conversations were like, how far do we want to go with this? Like, yeah. are we really making our own quote unquote Doctor Who or whatever? And the answer is like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, By the yeah, nature absolutely. of the thing, like you have to go all the way. Like, yeah, we had to use classic plot. We have to do all the stuff. You yeah. know, it we're not doing. Um, Jeff, the other Time Lord, and their TARDIS, and like sidebar. Oh, adventures. I love Jeff. Yeah. He has some great stories. Yeah, he's a great guy, but you know, it's that's not yeah. the show we're doing. Sadly. Yeah, we and we did Good have job. conversations in the early planning stages of: Do we use the Doctor and some companions? Do we come up with our own Time Lord? Do we have a group of humans who have found a TARDIS? Because the, the 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 great thing about the Doctor Who role playing game is it is super duper flexible. You don't have to be a Time Lord and human companions. You can be a unit squadron or a Torchwood team. Or Linda, or whatever you want to do. Like, it, oh, it I is love Linda. Really she has some of the best stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, with with regards to the 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 nineties, I think we'll come back to the first serial because we're going to go through each each serial kind of point by point. But um, Dan, obviously, with 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 Travis, a lot of the early conversations were not necessarily having your character, and you had a different name for the character yeah, as well. Yeah. So like, talk to us a little bit about, I guess, the kind of the the. The, the genesis the, the genesis of yeah. travis yeah. genesis so travis. um originally his name was uh billy watson because i thought it kind of had like uh like a very much like a superhero sidekick kind of feel to it and then i looked it up and there was like i think a silent film actor with the same name from like the 20s or 30s mm. but then when we were doing our first uh real character building session where we were working with our characters we realized having billy and millie was not the best idea. <laughs> yes. So uh, when trying to come up with a name, I was thinking of um, 90s era names. And as as much as, you know, we'd say that he's, he's named after uh, Travis McElroy, he's <laughs> really more named after Travis Barker from Blink-182 because I was trying to think of, like, popular bands. And if he's in his 20s then, like, who's the same age? But, um, but this is a little fun fact for the fans. Um, we've never said... Uh, my Travis's middle name on the air and it's Parker because we thought it'd be hilarious um, if my character's initials were TPK uh, and, and that, that came out of yeah that came out of the character building session and and, and going back to the 90s thing um, so I, I had the idea for uh, I'm just going to call him Travis because we know um, for doing a librarian because I thought that would be um, interesting uh, for someone who basically lived their life through other people's stories and i like the notion of well this is someone who's finally going to get his own story and i was kind of waffling back between doing a contemporary character and doing the 90s uh the reason i had been thinking about doing the 90s was because i was running a game for my friends that was taking place in the 90s so i was sort of in that headspace and then when riley said that her character was going to be so heavily based upon that era i think it immediately just clicked and we're like we need to do this because one um I, it's not something that modern who has done either mm -hmm. where there's been a companion from a different era so mm -hmm. i like that and then two i also thought it'd be fun to throw a wrench in this character because or a wrench roof a wrench roof 5000 <laughs> thank you um uh, because so much of travis is look let's be honest it's basically me uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's you with hair, possibly. Yeah, it's an amalgam of me, but I didn't want to just play myself. I figured if I made a character who was very similar to myself, it would be a lot easier for me to make better in character decisions, to which I feel that I did, and I didn't have to worry about playing like in a game where D&D where you have to you're in such an alien scenario and you're being a grandiose hero or anything like that. I could think about scenarios the way that i would approach them but at the same time to not just have it be 
Dan, the companion, by setting him from an earlier era and shutting out a lot of knowledge about technology and stuff like that. It was a way of separating the character and myself. So I, as much as I would handle a situation the way that I would like to think I would handle, because let's be honest, if I, if I found myself in an alien zoo, there'd probably be a lot more anxiety attacks than Travis had. But it it was a good way to not have me just rest on the laurels of being an actor who's just playing themselves. It was, yeah, I, I, I was, I was a theater kid growing up, so I had acting experience, but I've really been out of it for such a long time. And it was a safer way for me to put on a good performance, but also move the narrative. And it, it, I, I found that it was a good marriage of taking what I know and, and, putting a spin on it yeah Yeah, i kind of did that too a little bit with me like i like i think i said even in the first episode we did that i kind of imagined my doctor as being if i was cast as an actor to play the doctor on the show what would my doctor be like physically look like me and would behave but i i will say that it's it's a strange it's it's a strange challenge because i wasn't thinking of a doctor as me but i was thinking of it as a character that i was playing which Mm -hmm. i literally was doing but i think that it's very different playing the doctor in a role-playing game versus playing the doctor on the show because when you're playing doctor on the show like yeah you bring your own elements to it but you're still reading a script that is written for you from somebody else and it's a lot more challenging when you don't i mean you don't think about it until you get into it of having yeah. to think like the doctor in the moment because like i'm never given a speech to read i'm never given, exactly you know like all the times the doctor does things on the show the writers planned it perfectly to work well it is so much harder to actually think of like clever doctor moves in the moment yeah. in character but but i one of the things that i is, is simultaneously uh a difficulty i think with with writing this show but also one of the things i enjoy the most about it is sometimes Myself or Michael will come up with an idea where we think, this is really cool, and then the Doctor does this, wait, no, they might not do that, because that might not be the choice that Riley makes. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, sitting down to write a campaign for not just the Doctor Who RPG, but I guess any tabletop RPG, is difficult because you don't necessarily know how your your players are going to react. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the, 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 the moment at the end of part two of Getaway... I don't think Michael and I had even considered no. the possibility <laughs> no. that you might go looking for your counterpart's TARDIS. Like, and that led to what is absolutely my favorite, not just my favorite moment of our show, but my favorite Doctor Who moment ever. Oh, like, wow. that's, that is, it is, when, when I think about. Even what, over Pating? Even more than the, the, as you all know, the Pating is my personal favorite Doctor Who monster. It's your familiar. Yes. Uh, <laughs> But the, yeah, th- that moment for me, like, that, and I know, cause Dan and I had a conversation before, about this before, I think before you got here and definitely before we started recording, but that's a moment that I have listened to over and over again. And I love the choices you made that got to that point. I genuinely cannot believe that I'm, that, that journey from the parallel universe back, you know, to the, the staycation dome that I, that I got came out of my mouth. Like, I genuinely. It was cannot, so good. Like, yeah. you, you were so in the moment with it. That it was almost a shock that it wasn't pre-written because yeah. it was just it just was perfect. Like it was one of those levels. Like I I 100% would have believed if you said, "Oh no, I had it all scripted." I can't believe you guys went with where I want to go. <laughs> yeah, and because it is tough. I think that this show and this might be jumping ahead to different questions. So but I don't know, but this show was so different than other role-playing game shows that I've done. Like I, I've seen, you know, I'm a cast member on two different actual play shows, but those are so much more standard dungeon crawl. It's very much like you go from this place to this place, you'll fight these baddies and you'll get this thing. And then like the story will unfold around you. 
this show is so much different because so many times we are in like one fixed location or we are in a place where like we have to figure out this thing that you guys mm. have set up for us and it's tough. It gets really hard sometimes because like you don't, it's cause partly because we're not seeing it physically. So like it's relying on mind's eye yeah. to be able to solve this mystery. Which is what I think for, in, in for uh, Devils from the Deep was one of the reasons why we did the map is we wanted you guys to have like a, a firm yeah. idea. Mm. Which definitely yeah. did help for us to be able to tell the story without having to pause every few minutes and being like wait yeah. what's the layout again so yeah yeah but but thankfully it wasn't the sort of scenario where we needed to set up an entire map where you the listener at home were missing out on placement yeah. of items or anything like that it was just a good reference point yeah. um real quick just going back to the uh talking about just everything being in the mind's eye um ben's speech at the end of Getaway Part Two, and I know we're skipping to the end before we get to the beginning, but you know, timey wimey, non-linear. And also, in terms of listeners, they they only heard probably heard. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, It was just like I keep listening to that because it is just so gloriously well done, and not only by Ben, but I I need to give a special shout out to David King who does editing and sound design. Wonderful, because uh, I every time I listen to it, I am. 100% 100% picturing it, you know, being directed with a hundred million dollar budget, you know, with the, the description of what's going outside the TARDIS, what's going on inside the TARDIS. And I remember after we recorded it, we, we, we take a break in between each episode just because we need to be humans, but we were like trembling. And yeah. if you yep. go back and listen, I don't speak during the last 10 minutes of that episode because I was just so enthralled by what is happening in front of me. Like, I don't need to chime in with a stupid one-liner or how Travis is feeling. It's just, I just needed to sit back and hear this and picture it. And yeah, it's hands down my favorite moment of the series. (laughs) I remember being frustrated that it was going to be months before it debuted. (laughs) I wanted the the audience to get to experience it like we had. Like, you know, it's... we. I think it's no secret that we were all inspired to do this show because of the Adventure Zone and shows like that. And I, I remember on the, the Adventure Zone Zone one time they were talking about the arms outstretched moment at the end of the Suffering Game and how, like, just like in st- the, the weirdness of that moment and how it all came together. Like, they didn't talk about it ahead of time. They just did it and it all happened. And that moment felt very much like our arms outstretched. And it very much felt like, I think we were all just kind of like... Is this really happening? We like we just we. It's one of the few times where we were all super in character and we didn't break and we didn't like derail or digress or make jokes. We just kind of except for Ben with the Bed Bath and I Beyond did that thing. One <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, and then you can hear you can hear you on the audio going uh, like Bed Bath and Beyond, but like a bigger laugh. But we were all so enthralled <laughs> yeah. that like we were hanging on every word. So it being a joke just had, blew by my mind. I, th- I think when I think about that moment, I think I hadn't quite caught up with where everyone else was because I was just saying the yeah. things. I didn't realize that you guys were listening, if you understand yeah. what I mean. <laughs> it was um, just, yeah. I, so what I want to do, I want to ask our first question while yeah, we're still sorry. kind of tangentially connected to the character creation stage, and then we'll go through the, the yeah, series sorry. one by yeah, one. Yeah, definitely the, the, didn't mean to ramble so much there. Sorry. No, no, no. no hey, this no. is all good stuff. Um, so we, our first question comes from, uh, I'm going to say it's Thierry by email, um, who asked, uh, whose idea was it to include a historical figure in the story? Did it come from the players or the GMs? And were there any specific reasons for choosing Amelia Earhart? Now, obviously, that's not a question that the player can answer. But um, I know that that was uh, because Melinda was involved a little bit in the early planning stages yes. with, with you and me, Michael. I know that that conversation came up during 
during some of those production meetings. Do you recall how that? I I remember Melinda being very excited about. I want to play as Amelia Earhart, and I, yeah. do, I don't know. I I I I tried to remember where that conversation led or what led to that, and then grew from there. I think it was always part of the the conversation we were having, as far mm. as I can remember. Even is um, which is funny because then they have that reference to Amelia Earhart like in Jody's first or second episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, stop that. That happened a few times. You're, you're welcome, you know, BBC. I like mean, so, you know. Yeah. And we'd already, I think yeah. we'd already recorded by that point. Yeah. 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 Recorded our first episode. Yeah. 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 That was actually, it was the, I can tell you it was exactly, it was, it was Spider, it was back into the UK. Yes. Because it was when they were in, looking at the Spider and they yeah. said that they, they right. caught Amelia's web airport airplane in the spider web and it's like funny like she was very funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i remember when we did our preliminary like test game test the mesh thing, sesh is i think that at mm-hmm, that yeah. point she was still talking about playing like a fictionalized amelia Earhart, and then i think somewhere she made the decision to like and i could be wrong i could be apocryphal but i feel like she was thinking of like a Amelia oh, yeah. Earhart, like a, like a fictional version of her yeah. but i think then she like no i'm gonna play actual amelia Earhart. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe i misunderstood that she was going to play a fictional version. Maybe she was like, no, I'm playing actual Amelia Earhart. Yeah, I think the, yeah, I, I just, I think we always kind of took it as read that she was playing that character yeah. and it helped us a lot because there's that baked in mystery of when Amelia Earhart disappeared yeah. mm. just from that one Torchwood episode that throws everything wild yeah. from that. Which you know. I, I don't know that we've ever like discussed, we never discussed it on the show, but like Torchwood, uh, What's the name of the episode again? It's like a season one episode. Um, but there, there's those people who are kind of lost in time and they arrive in like 20, so it's 2006. Maybe it's season two. Yeah. I yeah. Because yeah. Owen like rift. has a relationship with her, doesn't he? Like, yes. and then yes. like she flies yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not actually her, right? It's, a, it's like a Torchwood fictional her. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. But then there's there's talk about how um, that someone in the episode mentions that Amelia Earhart went missing in 1980. 32. So yes, 1932. But she was still missing in 82. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's definitely, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, where historically it's 80. So I keep saying 80. It's 37. 37. Uh, but still 87, as, as you have correctly. She's going to arrive one of these days. She'll get back there. Yeah. Um, so that idea of that that Amelia Earhart's disappearance was already kind of thrown off kilter by established Doctor Who and Torchwood Canon gave, also gave us more to play with. And we're going to touch on that a little bit uh, at the beginning of, of season two as we uh, move on from, from her character. But speaking of moving on, let's talk about our very, very first serial. But also, I want to point out the reason why you had such trouble with dates is you were looking at unit paperwork. And then yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's like a dating it's protocol. A yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, hats off to Big Finish for trying to fix that with the Legacy of Time. Like one of the stories in Legacy of Time actively tries to explain uh, the uh, the dating controversy, but that's that, that's like giving the stormtroopers a defect that makes them all hit their heads on walls. Like you don't need to put that. In. Just let it be a, a just, yeah. Just yeah. embrace the. <laughs> it's a series. It's a series where time yeah. shifts and changes. That's why it happens that yeah. way. Yeah. So so our first serial, which we recorded back in I want to say October or November of uh, of of twenty eighteen, was the cost of progress, in which the Doctor uh, arrives at a museum and discovers a bunch of people who have been plucked from time including Travis Killian and Amelia Earhart. And uh, this leads to the discovery that Epoch Talent have been plucking people from time for a number of different reasons. Just it turns out it's the name of a real company. Sorry, which, yeah, guys. we Oops. found that out as, as episode two went out, which was fun. Oops. Um, we're, not, we're not saying you're evil. You're probably yeah. great. Yeah, you're, prob- you're probably And even Epoch Talent ended up not being evil yeah, by the end of the series, spoiler Yeah. Um, so does, well, so let's let's talk a little bit about about that, because I know that the early planning stages of that serial, f- when Michael and I were sitting down and writing it, were how do we bring these characters from different time zones together? And um, I think one of the earliest inspirations we had, actually, was one of the Gallifrey One live shows that we did, 
um, before we started working on the podcast. Actually, I think it was the year that you and I started talking about planning. Yeah, it was after that live show. Yeah, it was the it was the live show we did at Galley with the Somnivores. Um, and it was everyone waking up. We had the sequence on the cruise ship, and then everyone wakes up in that in that room with the pods. And I think that was our kind of our jumping off point was if everyone wakes up in this room. It was like that episode of Next Generation where all those different aliens wake up and Picard's one of them. Yes. And then he's been replaced by that singing idiot on the Enterprise. <laughs> oh my God, that was I so am weird. a new haircut wearing. No, that was, that was, that was, that was sorry. <laughs> Close enough. Um, but, but yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was that idea of what brings these characters together. And initially, we we had started kind of doing a loose adaptation of that story, and that grew into um, what if there's this museum that's plucking people out of time for uh, for these these exhibits? Yeah, that was a fun serial I kind of get started with because we didn't quite know what we were doing yet. Because when, yeah. we, when we had played the test episode. It was all one self-contained story. Yeah. And so I didn't realize until the end of the first episode that we were doing a serialized thing <laughs> with that, which made sense. But yeah, I remember, I think where I really felt like I was clicking with the show was the moment when I figured out what Epoch Talent was doing with the 3D printed bodies in yes. the other room. Yes. Watching make that show. realization yeah. was just, was, it was beautiful. Because at first us. I really 100% thought that the idea was that they were just like, none of the people when I thought, where we were going with that was that none of the people in the cages were real and they'd all been 3D printed mm. by this company. And then I realized, oh no, they're putting them back in time where they died. And I was like, that is so perfect. But then I also, like, that kind of came into play into the next serial when Travis is talking to the doctor about, or maybe it was later in the run, but at one point you had that moment with me where you were like, so if I go back to my life, am I going to be dead? Yeah, that was the uh, beginning of Lethargica. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. it was interesting because it, it gave me, the way you guys designed that, was that it gave me this like wiggle room to be like, maybe no one would have actually died at that time frame. Maybe Epoch Talent taking them out at history in that moment in time mm. is why they're recorded as having died. And if they hadn't taken them, maybe they would have lived a longer life. Like, we don't know. And that's the fun thing with timey wimey stuff. Yeah. So it was a really cool concept to play with. Yeah. And it was, it was, I think when we were in the plan, cause I think that story had the longest gestation period because we had the longest time between. Yeah you know, having the idea and, and sitting down to record it. Um, so I think, as well, I think also that's one of the reasons why that is today our longest serial because it's four episodes. Yeah. Mm. There's just, there's a lot of, a lot, a lot of ideas there. There's a lot of room for, you know, to kind of, for, the, for you guys to kind of, uh, to, to have discovered more about your characters and figure out how you're going to interact with each other. Yeah. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts about, or what are your memories of like the planning stages for that one? I just remember being very focused on, trying to be very different from what the new series has done. Mm. Um, just in terms of, you know, for people who've been watching the new series for 15 years now, we didn't want them to listen to the show and be like, oh, it's kind of more of that. You know, we wanted to show not only the flexibility of the game system, yeah. but also of the concept. You know, I think setting our first, first of all, like we're doing serials, we're not doing, you know, 45 minute episodes or whatever. Yeah. We're kind of doing our own thing. And it's kind I, of a mashup of the new series format with the old series serialized yeah. format. And also kind of, it's like kind of a big finish audio, except not really at all. Like we have that kind of structure, the four episode kind of structure they used to do in the monthly releases. They're still doing the monthly range. But then you have to roll dice and it just, you know, causes chaos. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the, the, I think the reason that our only four parters are the first serial and kind of the second serial with the whole Edge of Discovery yeah. interqual thing. Um, it's because we realized that all of us kind of play better in three episode chunks or two episode yeah. chunks. Like three is kind of the longest we can go. Four was a big stretch in that serial because we had like 
everything. Yeah. On that, we had like every potential potentiality. Yeah. Is in our like sheet for the first serial, and the second yeah. serial is like, okay, we have kind of some ideas we went for the cliffhangers here, and then we. We wanted to make that an interlude plus four parts, and we yeah, realized I, as we were playing. I like, think initially yeah, our so plans were aiming for like four part serials, and then realizing that oh, two, maybe three works works best for this. Yeah, form. yeah, and, and to, to be fair, we did have to allow for forty five minutes of Snarg's crying, <laughs> <laughs> which, yes. by the way, just was well, just such a delight. <laughs> that was what I was going to get to next about how that moment. Not unlike me figuring out the pre-printing and like, oh, this is what we're doing with this show. Fnarg's crying was a moment where we were laughing so hard that it, like <laughs> really showed me too, like this is we're on to something with this. Like there's <laughs> there's potential for surprisingly funny things out of nowhere with yeah. this show. That, no, there's yeah. no way when you guys sat down to plan this episode, you're like we're gonna have this snot guy named Fnarg who's crying. Yeah, we, yeah. we yeah, said he's employee. Nothing. That was month. not in our planning there's stages. No, there's no way was... it could have been. If it no. was, so, I, would, yeah. I would literally kiss you both right now. I, I will share one. Thing. I think the word guards is in our plan. Yeah, not even Fnarg and Jane like in the spur of the moment like. So yeah, uh, nothing. we do a lot of planning, but then there are certain things where I go, oh, I guess I need to name these characters or describe this. Like, there Fnug. are so many moments in yes. the show like that that we've run into of like, we've got it all planned out. And then it's like, we didn't pick any names. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, okay. Fnug's name, yeah. I will tell you guys. So Fnug is named after the name that Stephen Moffat gave Series 5. Like when a it was fictional numeral. Yeah. yeah, because the idea was, you know... It was being, for a while, it was being marketed as season, uh, 11.1. And then Moffat had been referring to it as season 31 for a little bit in, in Doctor Who magazine. And then there was this debate, well, is it season five? Season five doesn't sound right because it's a new show. 11.1 is great for marketing purposes. Um, but it's actually season 31. And then that kind of the debate over what number. Wait, why 11.5? So not 11.5, 11.1. But still, why 11? Because it was Matt Smith's first season. Oh, that 11th was, Doctor, gotcha. Yeah, okay. So yeah, the, it would be like from then on, Capaldi would be like 12.1 okay. instead of Series Which, 8. From which from a marketing like, perspective, mm. I like I get why they opted to go back. This is Season 5, Season 6. I get why they opted to do that. Yeah. But um, I I kind of liked the idea of 11.1, but the debate in the pages of Doctor Who magazine and online got such that Moffat started referring to it in the magazine as season finale. Oh, that's funny. So, so that was the, when I, when I got the opportunity to name the first alien I'd created, I was like, well, I've got to call this guy Fnarg because <laughs> yeah, perfect. why wouldn't I? And that's kind of, I also, Fnarg also, I think, works as kind of this, we, as we occupy with Riley's Doctor a nebulous future point in the Doctor's timeline. So we are, I think, in many ways, season Fnarg of Doctor <laughs> Who. That's great. Um, yeah. And then but, next year we season Fnarg point two. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And so much, like, Fnarg for me, like, that whole moment, Getting that reaction from people in the room, uh, it's like, you know, when, when you're doing stand up and you can see the, the audience having like a great reaction to a bit you're doing, uh, it's, it was that. So I, I, I wanted to kind of milk it a little bit. And I, I like being in the room with you guys and, and in the recording, Riley, Riley, you trying to kind of get back to the I game? I couldn't and then, breathe. That was a moment yeah. where I was like frustrated for people to hear the episode because it was so funny. Yeah. And I was like trying to tell people, like, you know, you, there's just movement you've got to hear. And I actually had people message me later and be like, hey, was that employee month thing the one you were... Th-? Like, I didn't say anything about what was happening. I just said, in this episode, there's a thing that happens that broke me completely. And then that's like a thing that when I did it, I was like, what is happening? And it was oh. so good. Uh, but, I, yeah, I could not breathe. My my second favorite Doctor moment from uh, the first serial is when you pull out the your grape sticker because yes. that is just the best. Yeah. But uh, I will say my favorite moment, and this is when 
you know, and I, I, you know, you've been doing a great job before that, but you know how whenever there's a new doctor, there's always like a moment where boom, this person is the doctor. When you took the cell phone to do the vine loop to drive the guy insane. Oh, that felt like so that. Good. Yeah. yeah. That was when you became the doctor and it was like, I feel like all of us then got our sea legs. Like, yeah. like listening to you doing that, you, I think elevated the rest of us and it was, we haven't stopped running ever since. And I mean that in a good way because Doctor Who is nothing but running. But yeah. it was like, you were like first one through the door and we're like, we're right behind you. So, yeah. Because you actually had that great moment where you were like, we're dinosaurs and we're taking over this yeah. park. Oh, and like, yeah. that was such a great companion <laughs> line. Yeah. It was so good. It's, in many ways, like th- this story has our first like doctor speech where you're talking to Russell Turner. But I also kind of think of buddy we're a pack of dinosaurs as kind of like a doctor adjacent speech yeah. like it's it's like that for me is the moment where that's travis's travis as a character that's that's him crystallized like using his pop culture knowledge and know-how to to sell an idea or to push the story forward that's that's travis for me and and, and absolutely like i'm i in my head when i'm falling asleep at night i'm mentally like composing what that t-shirt's gonna look like because i want that shirt <laughs> that, that's that moment he becomes the companion i that's yes, what i say yeah. i think that's the moment where the doctor is like this guy's gonna travel with me like, yes. i think i think there's, I think there's always a moment where the doctor yeah. figures out this person's like a special this is there's something special yeah. about this person they can travel with me as opposed to like other people who got left behind on that planet yeah. to like just live their lives out or yeah. whatever yeah. but that's that's funny when you were talking about uh, Dan, when you were talking about uh, uh, Travis being from the '90s and the sort of hindrances that build, I was thinking of that moment where Travis has no idea what an iPhone is, <laughs> and like that moment couldn't have come out of like anywhere. Like it only really exists because of the parameters of the show, and it, that moment exists like before you've stepped up into the kind of companion role. So there's there's that it's it, there's it's, so many moments in that serial where like yeah. real character stuff happens. It's weird because for me, like when I think of I think it's unfair to say in any season of Doctor Who, like, oh, this companion is like this other companion from the past. But for me, with the dynamic that we built over the season, Travis kind of feels a little, he reminds me a lot of Jamie from the second Doctor's run in that he's from a previous era, doesn't always have an understanding of everything from like the modern era, but still is, is, is a really kind of strong, like well-defined character. Um, and makes really good decisions. You as the player make good decisions. Thank and you. Travis is a, is is a phenomenal character to kind of to kind of see. Uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, about the end of the cost the cost of progress before we we move on to our, our next serial, which is uh, the first appearance of uh, what <laughs> what Critiot, who uh, was the person who founded the Rassilon, uh, uh game of Rassilon wiki, described as the unknown observer. Oh yes, um, <laughs> which is Roman. Yeah, like, we know that now, but uh, we didn't know it then. Yeah, we we, we, <laughs> we knew it. Riley and I didn't. <laughs> I, I actually knew. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay, well, I didn't I know. know. Well, then I, I was. Didn't. I was informed. Oh. I, I was informed. <laughs> After the episode, okay. but like when we were leaving, I was like told that like that was, yeah. was like Michael kind of took me aside and explained what was happening to me, which because yeah, we didn't great. want you to be totally out of the loop. Yeah, yeah. it was great, and uh, that's funny because then for like the next several serials, I knew this thing that y'all didn't, and we hadn't even done our first photo session. The yet photo shoot, right? Because I remember when we yeah. did the photo session, everyone kept referring to Michael's character as the master. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, let's get our doctor and a master together, and, and I, even I had like got it. Was it, it was it was so Sunday, great. You know, and, and this is not you know uh, you know I'm not saying anything negative about it, but it was sort of the opposite of what Star Trek Into Darkness. Did where everyone's like, 
well, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be Khan. No, 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 he's not Khan. He's not Khan. Guess oh. what? He's Khan. We we kept saying, no, you're the master. You're the master. It, like you're not fooling anyone, and then you fool off. We even photoed yeah. him as if he was yeah. the villain. Yeah, and he was like completely not a villain at all. Yeah, which um, except for fashion. I'm gonna leave. This is gonna mm. lead into. I'm gonna ask one more question, and then we'll move on to serial too. But uh, uh, Tensei Dragon on uh, on Twitter asked, how much plot conversation is had with players beforehand? For example, how much information did Amelia have going into the final arc, and how do you determine? how much and what information to give and what is too much. So I think with regards to the, the conversation of, for example, Roman, uh, Riley having the knowledge that Michael was, was Roman, um, you were the only person who knew that. So like, yeah. there, what other examples are there of us giving information to uh, to the players ahead of time? I, I, the only thing I can really think of is the finale because we did have to yeah. have a conversation with Mel about where Amelia is at the time that uh, the, uh, the Doctor and Travis find her. Has there been much else of that? No, I think um, it's actually something I wanted to, that we're going to discuss for season two really internally is like, how much do you two want to know going in? Because I feel like there have been some serials where like the total surprise of us throwing a scenario at you may have hindered the play Mm. as as such, you know? I I was never, for for any of them, I was never given... uh... Yeah information ahead of time the only time i went in with any sort of information was the travis doctor speech at the beginning of lethargica but that was because i had asked to do it yeah Yeah. um and that wasn't that wasn't uh, our overlord saying here's a scene i was thinking about it between records and you know it was just the notion of what would my character do and i asked ben um i I said there's a scene i want to do do you want me to tell you what it is or do you not and he said why don't you tell me and then I'll let you know if you should tell Riley. And then I told you what the idea was and you're like, I think you should just do it. Yeah. But that was the only time I went in with any information. I went in cold for every single, uh, episode. And I think that actually helped me because, you know, uh, Travis is, we haven't even established how long of a time period this is, but like for all intents and purposes, I don't know. Travis has been traveling with the doctor for what a month. Mm. So everything is still kind of new. So I, I never, felt at a disadvantage not getting information ahead of time and i think i think if anything it was an advantage because it was like all right my character's in a completely unfamiliar situation adapt so yeah yeah i i knew a a couple of things but i i think similarly all the stuff that i knew was stuff that we had worked on collaboratively ahead Mm -hmm. of time about like the the nature of my doctor's regeneration and where she found herself after regenerating and so like ideas of things that we're going to get to in the future that we haven't gotten to yet but that's all we really got ahead of time i can't think of any other moment where aside from me being clued into the roman thing but the roman thing almost felt more like it's like when you hear Kristen Bell talk about how at the end of the first season of The Good Place, like only Kristen Bell and Ted Danson knew the big twist and mm. nobody else in the cast knew it. Even Darcy Carden, whose character would know it. Mm. So, but I don't think that like affected her portrayal of Eleanor as someone who didn't know the twist throughout the mm. season. No, that's, no. but overall, yeah, I think I prefer not to know too much. I would be curious to talk to you guys about what moments you think would have helped if we had known something ahead of time to see if like we could as a, as a collaborative question. process like, is I, that something we would want to fix earlier because i am a little bit i i don't like to know too much in character yeah. ahead of time because one thing one reason why is because if you, if you think you know something's going to happen and it doesn't happen you feel a little manipulated and like one thing that always bugs me in in role-playing games is when i feel like my dm manipulates me by giving me outside information that doesn't that ends up being false yeah, so yeah. it feels like you're yeah. being forced to meta game and i i yeah. as someone who i also i don't like it when that happens and i try as as a gm and a dm not to do that yeah. too much and, 
Oh, I'm sorry. No, go for it. And this is also like wildly different than like the actors on a scripted show knowing because the fact that we have to make this up on the spot, it's like, you know, we don't have a script that we're following, anything like that. So I think sometimes not having that information does make it more genuine because even, you know, on a show like The Good Place, you know, even if characters know what is coming, they still have to say the lines that are on the page in front of them and yeah. they'll, they'll make their choices accordingly, but we're flying by the seat of our pants here. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, the the best example of this actually is uh, the best two examples rather are are around um, Amelia Earhart in particular uh, uh, unfortunately or fortunately but uh, uh, in retrospect I wish we would have told Melinda um, at some point in Devils from the Deep you're gonna like be alone in a room let Roman get you yeah. so we can continue There's, the story so there is I want to come back to that when we talk about Devils yeah. from the Deep because I have a lot of frustration with how that you, we yeah, both we'll feel come very back. Same we will definitely come back to that we'll get but there let, in a second but let, but, but let me yes but this, no no go but, ahead yeah because of that the flip side of that is i think because of that whole thing post roman holiday we had a much longer conversation about like okay yeah. how long have you been on colony 47 how what has that done with to your character uh what has she been doing and a lot of that like helped us figure out you know the sanctuary stuff and and uh, actually, bringing in Russell Turner kind of came yeah. out, but really the idea we had going in cold was the staycation dome. The idea yeah. that the, the, the general notion of season one is like time is broken, something's wrong, right? Yeah. So like serial one, this guy can yank people at a time, maybe with or without consequence. Yeah. You know, serial two, uh, we just wanted to do a Star Trek thing. Uh, serial <laughs> three, uh, <laughs> the, the, the general idea of the season is the web of time is cracking yeah. and stuff is getting through. Like, yeah. weirdness yeah. is afoot. Well, I think that kind of conversation is a little bit different than revealing just information to the players. Yeah. Cause that, that almost feels more like what, like in a D&D game will be like instead of like downtime role playing, mm. where it's like, what has your character been doing in this downtime? Yeah. And then like letting, letting the player craft what they've been doing and then building story out of that as opposed to as opposed if you would just said you have been on the station this long this is how you feel about it this is what's happening yeah so i think it's that that's more collaborative i think than informative and that's the goal of this thing is like the idea that the the gameplay system like the role-playing system is that it's a storytelling engine as opposed to like a mechanism to get you to the next fight or like which we've definitely again with i think with devils of devils from the deep we broke that rule i think in a pretty pretty significant way yeah so the the next serial is it's it's kind of a twofer it's the edge of discovery which is a, a one shot that leads into where angels fear to trek so, i'm so proud of that title by the way yeah the edge of discovery so like, right yeah there aren't a lot of things i but just like the triple joke of the edge of discovery yeah. is so good like, i feel very good about that one. so in the edge of discovery um is is largely a travis and millie centric adventure where they explore the tardis they're chased by an animal they find their own rooms the animal turns out to be gunther the doctor's lovable cat yeah. <laughs> and then they are sucked up by a tractor beam into a ship that resembles but is legally distinct from the enterprise uh-huh. oh uh, that's what it was yeah that's what <laughs> <laughs> was the whole time. What? A lot of that, I don't know. I, I know that when Michael and I were in the planning stages for how do we want to structure the show, we had talked about doing like basically our own, what, what Taz does with lunar interludes throughout the, the balance arc. Mm-hmm. That was kind of what we were going to do. And this was going to be our first like lunar interlude, that kind of breathing space. And ultimately we ended up not needing to do that and kind of jettisoned that as a concept for the show. But, yeah. um, that I feel like that first episode is very important for kind of establishing, um, a little bit more about, uh, about Riley, your doctor's TARDIS, mm-hmm. and establish, g- giving 
um, giving Millie and Travis a place within the TARDIS to be in to call their own. And well, yeah, and I ended up needing a place to put the Staff of Justice. Obviously. Right. Um, but from I, I think from my perspective, it I, because of the way that the show has been structured, because we, you guys are in a TARDIS where you can't determine where it's going to land, you guys don't have as much control over, like, overall world, world building. So my feeling at the time was that it was important to give you guys a space you can carve out for yourself and make your own mm-hmm. um, to, you know, to tweak and change, not just in that in that one episode, but kind of throughout the show going on. Like, again, with Travis going back and, you know, deciding to give himself one of those, you know, roll rolling desk table. Yeah. I can't remember what they're called. So you could write an OT mom. And roll then top somewhere, desk. Roll top desk. Thank you very much. Uh, and somewhere to put your various like treasures and, and, uh, and trophies from adventures. Scenes. And then the quirk of like the TARDIS being just a little off on yeah. all of those things too is, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I really like that one. It's just like yeah. a, a character builder. I think too, yeah. from like a strictly mechanical engineering perspective from my end in the recording, that was the first of the episodes we recorded of that batch. So the idea of like getting able to warm back up into the characters after yeah. you know a month and some change away was really appealing. Yeah, and like, the the amazing thing is that the set builders, like after we described it, they have built all of these rooms to a T. And great. I yeah. wish yeah. the audience could see them because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we've had and such hear all fun. the Beatles songs. Yeah, we've had uh, such fun hanging out on those sets. So loud, so many great. all at once. It was it was a good episode for me because one of the struggles that I do have on this show is of the Doctor is the star of Doctor Who. Mm. And so, it's like, unlike early Doctor Who, the Doctor's kind of like a, an ancillary character, and like Ian and, and Susan are kind of the stars, and mm. like Ian and Barbara and Susan. But like, the Doctor's kind of just like, is one of an ensemble. Now the Doctor very much is the core character of the show, and it's hard, because I don't want to be like, dominating the game when mm. there's two other players who are here to be part of the cast and have fun and be part of it. So I love when there are moments like that where organically it allows me to step back and not be the focus. Cause like the doctor knows the TARDIS super well. She doesn't need to explore. So it was fun to have like, let Travis and Millie kind of have the spotlight while they explore this weird space to yeah. them. While the doctor's just kind of goofing off in the control room. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to like, to be able to step back in a way that like felt organic to the story and yeah. like not be like, I have to be a star right now. Yeah. So. And, and in also, the same way that building the rooms helps build out the Travis and Millie characters, I think those idle moments yeah. of the Doctor, like, not in action, yeah. are really cool for everybody, to see, like, mm-hmm. yourself included, to be able to play. It helped like, me flesh her out as a character yeah. and not just, like, the Doctor! Yeah. 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 But also from, like, a, a player perspective rather than a character perspective, I think it also allows you to, as someone who is listening to you know, uh, Mel and, and Dan kind of figure out their characters and their spaces and how they're reacting to what they think is a monster chasing them in the TARDIS. Separate from the Doctor, how do they react? And yeah. I, I, I think that, um, and, and this is certainly how I felt as well. It, it gave me a better handle on, uh, on what, you know, Dan and Mel were doing with, with their characters. And mm-hmm. it was really, really informative, um, for like future, like planning sessions that Michael and I had when we were talking about, you know, what we wanted to do next. And then, of course, that serial leads directly into um, uh, Where Angels Fear to Trek, which I'm going to come out and just say this straight away, is a very difficult serial for me to listen to again, because mm. I, I, I know this is something that we've spoken about. I don't think I've spoken about it publicly, but that was a very high anxiety session for me because I, 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 I set a bad tone by showing up an hour late, which I think put a bad energy in the room. And I remember feeling really 
self-conscious throughout the recording of all three of those episodes because we did um edge of discovery and uh, angels back to back um and so that's a difficult one for me to listen to and also i did decide to give one of the characters a bad patrick warburton voice and that was a bad choice because when i realized <laughs> i was doing that voice and then i looked directly at dan and i was like i think this was a poor choice but nah, i'm stuck with it now <laughs> um but I, that was I, that was also the first serial where i um decided to like go all in on character voices to an extent i didn't i I still struggle with it sometimes i get a little bit in my own head but that was that was the first time i pushed through the anxiety and said i'm going to try and do something different with character but i love the voice you did for the chief engineer like weird like like your attempt at being scotty but you made him like irish sort of of like yeah Yeah, it was kind of vaguely like lister from red dwarf it's kind of not (laughs) not really liverpool but like as close to liverpool as i can get it yeah um, I That's don't, what we're doing? Yeah. 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 Uh. yeah. I, don't, I didn't... I, that voice, I like listening back to it, uh, having listened back to all the serials this week, I, I still... It feels a little cringy to me, but it's because I... Everything, ne- everything he yeah. says sounds sarcastic. <laughs> like, as far as the fun. <laughs> oh, yeah? We'll do it then! <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we talked in the, about the first serial about how at first we did a four-episode thing and then we kind of like found that three was better for us and like partly because... I don't know if the audience knows that we record each serial almost all in one sitting. Yeah. We don't do mm-hmm. like like Taz records it like one at a time. They come back like a week later or like, or two weeks later and they call each other and they do it. We record all of ours in one sitting, and I think that we learned that like trying to do four back to back with brutal. how chatty oh, we yeah. are, oh. how this week we get <laughs> too much. When yeah, when we did the cost of progress, we were still here. We we finished I think midnight. Like yeah. we got yeah, here we in late. like early afternoon, and we were when we left. The store was closed and like the staff were playing a game outside. Yeah. yeah. And you can kind of hear it a little bit yeah. in that last episode as well. I think mm-hmm. the error we had, the error we made, uh, Ben and I going into Serial 2 was assuming we would all bring the exact same amount of energy yeah. to the recording, like as the first time. So we'd be able to get like, we'll do five episodes. It'll <laughs> be incredible. Can yeah. you imagine? And like, two is such a great level resetter for yeah. us in a lot of ways. Like, there, there's that one is the one I look back at the most, and I'm like, oh, like even with devils lurking in the corner yeah. there. But like, I wish we hadn't done the Trek thing as our second serial. Like, yeah. uh, 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 there's so much stuff in there. Where we I'm learned like, a lot. I think, I think, mm-hmm. I think it was it was a enjoy- real like. No. I think it is enjoyable to listen to. If I can detach myself from, do I sound like that? Why did I make that voice choice, mm-hmm. etc. I enjoy listening to it, um, and, and partly because like it's the culmination of like four years of nonsense that I had where I pitched this idea to a uh, a very well-known ongoing Star Trek fan film series and they were very enthusiastic about it right up until they decided not to do it. So we just filed off the Star Trek elements of, of the, mm. you know, filed off the Star Trek serial numbers and, and got to tell that story here. And that made me happy. Like, And also mm-hmm. getting to tell that story collaboratively with friends and, and do something cool with it was, and different and kind of Doctor Who it up a little bit more was cool. Yeah, I think also um, what had happened with that one was it was sort of one of the first times that we the players accidentally broke your story. Uh, <laughs> that, no, no, I, I mean, I, I want to get bring that up. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Um, that when when yeah. we started talking to the computer, and Ben looks across the table t- to Michael, yeah. and be like, "What are we doing?" And then Michael just had to become the computer. Oops! It yeah. was just I, I don't like. It was nothing that you could have planned for. It was just something that came out of it, and yeah. you know. Growing pains. Every show yeah. has it. Like, and, oh, yeah. and I think we've gotten better at handling that. As absolutely. The show has oh, absolutely. Um, I, go ahead. Well, please. what I was going to talk about, like, I think taking the, the curtain fully back, that episode 
was probably the most tense this room has ever mm, been. Yes. Mm. And I think we needed it to happen yeah. to kind of get the DNA of what the show was going to be moving forward. Especially early on. I'm glad yeah. it happened early. But I, to talk about the whole three episode, four episode thing, if I can just be a little bit like blunt about this. Yeah. We essentially got to a solution to the problem by the third episode and mm-hmm. like we had like solved it and like I had spent all my story points to make this mm. huge thing happen. And then suddenly like there was a moment where then then they were like, okay, well, then this thing happens. Like, there was a new plot twist. And, like, the three of us were, like, we, like, basically revolted. Yeah. We were yeah. all, like, we just beat this thing. Yeah. And then, and it was, like, such a frustration of, like, it just, it, like, deflated us completely because we were, like, we really thought that we had collaborated and made this awesome thing happen. And then it felt like it was taken away from us. Yeah. And I think that was a moment where we, as a group, had to be, like, hey, sometimes we're going to go so far off your rails that you can't just put us back on your rails at the end. And yeah, I yeah. think that we we had, without being like too, like, I don't want to go too back into like a bad thing, but we had a really tense conversation. There. Yeah. I, remember, I remember at one point, like, Michael and Ben kind of had to like, like, Michael had to kind of like stop recording and like mm-hmm. you and Ben yeah. had to talk about it. Yeah. And like the three of us had to leave the room and yeah. we had to figure out yeah. how to reconcile what y'all had planned and like what we had done with it and how those two could work together. And I think ultimately it made this a stronger show. Absolutely. But yeah. it was definitely, I think when we left that night, we all just felt exhausted and yeah. drained because we it, had like, yeah, it was such a tense thing. It was, it was, it was tense because I remember like coming off of the cost of progress and like finishing that session and thinking, well, I, th- I think we're onto something special. This is, this could be an amazing show. And I remember, uh, I remember sitting in the, in my car after we recorded, um, uh, Angels crying, like feeling like I fucked up. And again, I would already come into this room feeling like anxious and 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 stressed mm. out because i had arrived an hour late um and i felt like i f***ed this up like mm-hmm. I, I had this I, this thing that i've wanted to do for a long time and this this star trek adjacent story i'd wanted to tell for a long time and i was getting to play the doctor who role-playing game with my friends and i f***ed it all up like that was legitimately how I, and then i you know i slept so on it and i, I felt yeah. are you marking these down no nah. <laughs> i felt <laughs> good job sorry. david <laughs> so i felt like I'd, I'd i'd broken it and i felt like i'd I ruined the show. I felt like I'd, I'd hurt my friends and I felt, and then the next morning I thought, well, you know what? This is all good. It's fine. We're recording the next session next month. This is a learning experience. And that's, it's still difficult for me to like when I was doing my re-listen, I would, I I couldn't listen to angels for too long. I'd have to pause Mm -hmm. it and listen to it in little chunks because I, I still listening to it have that kind of emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. But I think that experience made the show better. I agree. Yeah. That was the thing I was going to, uh, uh, bring up there is like we had the cliffhanger for another part is what yeah. sort of happened and it it didn't work like we had this thing where like the angels came back and we're gonna fly the ship into the sun or whatever and it was like no we solved that so yeah. i think rightfully you three were like no we're not doing that because it felt yeah. like well what are we supposed to do now if we've, we've thrown all of our tricks at this yeah. Yeah. and then, and i remember being frustrated at episode two because there was a moment where speaking about what I said earlier about wanting to not make the doctor dominate the story, mm. there was a moment where um, Millie had gone down to engineering and I made the decision in character, like, I'm going to stay on the bridge so that Millie can do whatever she needs to do in engineering. And then like literally the character go, you should go to engineering. And I was like, I actively didn't want to go mm. there to affect that character's ability to play mm. that scene. And then I, I went down there and then I was like, there's nothing for me to do here. I'm just here now being in the way of this character. Yeah. It, mm. That, that yeah. whole serial was, was, was very much a learning curve. And, 
And we did re-record the ending. We, have, we actually had a question from Dr. Bob Phillips on Twitter. It's nice to have another doctor write in. And he said, how much gets cut or rerun in the show to make the story flow better? Mm-hmm. And Endings. we did re-record yeah. that ending. There have been a couple of other cases. Well, that was the brainstorming session yeah. between you and me. was like, what's our actual ending here? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's not the angels anymore. Well, it's yeah. this other stuff. You know? yeah. I would say, I wouldn't say we re-recorded the ending. Because what we really did was, yeah, we cut out the cliffhanger yeah but we like everything we had gotten to collaboratively as a group still happened yeah and all we did was erase the next like we did we never recorded the next part we just cut out the cliffhanger and we like went from where we got to as a group and and then cut off what was Mm pre-written and then had a new ending that worked yeah so I, i think it was more that we well, I think what we got better at doing as a group on the fly later, and I think the end of the finale arc is a great example of this. The second part of the finale arc is a great example of us doing a thing in character that you didn't expect, and rather than like stop it and go, okay, what do we do now? Just roll with it, as opposed yeah. to back yeah. then when it was like, oh, well, we have this whole other arc plan, so we got to go yeah. through this. And, yeah, and after Serial 2, the way Ben and I developed the story documents really changed. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. we really started leaving. I mean, the reason I think Getaway Part 2, again, is like as open as it is, because the the story document for for getaway part two is here are the three scenarios mm-hmm. explain them out assume they figure out how to get back yeah, yeah. we we da, didn't da, 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 da. we like, had that was no yeah. idea yeah. for getaway part two we had all we the only things we thought was faith in the players that's all we yeah had, we know? gave we gave uh we gave dan the dish we had um uh we had mel uh as amelia we had her as as part of this 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 project for the small hadron collider and we had the doctor on gallifrey yeah and we trusted the you know, you guys would find a way to communicate with each other or get back home. And the solution that you guys came up with absolutely blew us away. Like you, you, you guys threw something at us that, um, I think if we were writing, uh, like if we, if Big Finish tapped us to write an audio play, we could not have come up with an idea scripted that you guys came up with in the room on, on, on that thing. And that's one of the things I love about this. I, I, about playing this game, um, and about, you know, doing this show is that, so much happens in the room that is, it does, it, it's spur of the moment and it's, it's you guys like coming up with ideas or piecing things together that Michael and I maybe hadn't even considered when we were in the planning stages, mm-hmm. which is absolutely fantastic. I know that for the ending of, um, of Where Angels Feared a Trek, we opted to have the final, the final dilemma after the angels had been defeated. We had the, 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 the debate of, you know, whether the engineer who was a Zygon, whether the ship's computer would, um, accept him as the captain because, you know, he, whether he was human or not, which felt... Which um, was a great moment between yeah. us. We were like, oh, we just do a Star, do Star Trek, Trek ending. Yeah. <laughs> like, duh, like, yeah. what are we doing over here? Yeah. Like, it it yeah. was very... Um, yeah, I, I think the easiest way to equate what happened with that and what we do to answer the question um, is we tend to do more reshoots the way a movie does yeah. rather mm. than cutting out stuff or rewriting anything. Um, when, when the group had the discussion about we basically solved the angels problem when we stepped out of the room uh ben and michael basically in the moment treated it as if we had done test screening for a movie and the audience didn't like the ending so they're like okay we need to come up with another ending so we came back in yeah thanks um so we came back in and it was you know we reset ourselves at a certain point which you know gets edited out of the episode and it was we're just going to take it from here and that was how it went and and i think um but what I, I was trying to say earlier, we, it's not like we role played an ending oh, that exactly. was cut out. That's what I think. Right. That's where I was trying mm. to like. That was the specification between like re-recording yeah. something mm. and rewriting something. Like, everything that ended the show 
was up to where we had role played. The yeah. only things that were cut out were like narrative things from from Ben as the game master. Yeah, like yes. the cliffhanger for part three. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to clarify that for the audience. I don't, I don't want the audience to think that we've like recorded yeah. an entire other arc or another another part of a serial, and then been like, we didn't like that we recorded. Yeah. There, there's a, never there's enough that. Lost Doctor Who that we don't need to yeah. add to that oomph. Yeah. yeah, there are no yeah, there, missing there, episodes. There, well, there are no yeah. missing uh, missing trick takes. Because like, there's one adventure zone they talk about. Like, they made a decision in character that they realized they all felt bad about later, and they all decided, you know what, we're going to re-record it and not do that. Oh, I didn't and know like, that. it's in the Stolen Century arc, yeah. and that's the only time they ever said they've done that. And I don't think that we even went that far with this. Yeah. I think right. that. We, we, we cut out the framework, not role play. You know yes, what it is? Exactly. It, it's, it's, it's Hartnell. It's a Hartnell era story where they had to kind of tape it as live and they can only go back and wind the tape back after they make a mistake three times. Yeah. We made a mistake. We wound the tape back. We kept going. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah I just um, don't want people to think we cut out role play because we yeah. didn't. It's like no. that. I don't, cause like, yeah. I think the reason why it's important for me to specify is I think that that like betrays the, the format a little yeah. bit. Mm. Like I think that if you do, Frequently re re play a scene, then you're no longer playing a life. Yeah. Now, you're, now you're writing a script together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, like the nature of improv- improvisation in this show is still it it has integrity. It hasn't it hasn't been broken. Yeah, I think the closest we get is like redoing lines on the fly. Yeah, yeah. Didn't like how they landed. Like that know. or that might be we've done that, and that might also be because like something didn't happen right with the recording, or somebody swore mm-hmm. or something, and we wanted to like make we wanted to get a clean cut of it. Someone hit yeah. the mic stand. Yeah. yeah. Like I had I had a line, and I like actually liked my line read better. At the end, Devils in the Deep, but we edit, we edit it because I said a phrase that like might not have gone through to become, it might have made it explicit on iTunes. So we like rehab, mm. we take it and like, a cleaner version of it. Like that kind of thing we'll do, but that's, that's more just like audio yeah. stuff than it yeah. is like gaming. Yeah. And I remember we like on the fly as we were recording ended up reordering a lot of the Devils ending mm-hmm. too for yeah. like the action stuff and yeah. the, the boat going towards the beach mm-hmm. and the minefield. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so let's, I think. Is there much else we want to say about? Um, we can roll right into devil. Yes, roll right into. Well, no, the next no, one no. actually. Oh no, uh, is uh, is Lethargica, which was uh, the first story where we opened oh, up no. with a, a a flashback sequence. We open uh, with uh, with Millie and her uh, her friend Eleanor. Uh, yes, yes, yes. At, at an air show, and uh, well, no, uh, Angels had the flashback. Is it had not for the character, but it had the like. The cold, the cold opening. opening of them yeah. finding the statues on the Yeah, planet. well, but I mean, that, that was more kind of, I, I wouldn't think of that as a flashback. Okay, I think of that more as like a cold open, like yeah. setting, setting the scene, which is also not something we do. I think we don't think we've done that often. No. No, we haven't done it since. I don't we really did it because of the, again, because of that Trek vibe. We wanted yeah, the like, we, dun, 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 like, we wanted the Trek vibe. Opening, you know? Um, and I, I also, I like a cliffhanger where, the resolution to the cliffhanger is actually here's a little bit earlier, but from the other side's perspective. I always like that. And I think it does a good job of like setting up the, the scene and the vibe for that story Fair as well. Enough. But with Lethargica, um, the idea was here's a moment from Millie's past, which by the way is, is a, a thing that actually happened like, cause Lethargica, um, my, I had wanted to do something with the Somnivores again, but Michael was the one who, who said, Hey, let, here's this cool thing that's for actually from Amelia Earhart's history. Maybe we can, we can do something with those. Yeah. If you're my age, you've probably read the Sandman comics. So you know yes. about the sleepy sickness of, uh, yes. post World War One. So we were like, Oh, Ben, I was, I was just like, Oh, Ben's got a sleep monster. Yeah. Millie's from this time. Yeah. Smush. Like it was, it was perfect. I mean, that one, uh, uh, Came together very easily. The funny and thing about that, though, is that y'all use the somnivores from their 
other other session mm. but it wasn't one that i had played in yeah so but i was playing the one character who was familiar with these things <laughs> and understood them but i was the oh, only person wow. in the room who didn't understand them or have any familiarity yeah. with them so that was a really weird moment like that might have been a moment where it might have been worth saying to me ahead of time like hey there's this thing that makes but, sense yeah but i mean in retrospect the episode's fine. Yeah. I don't think the episode suffers from me not knowing it. Yeah. I just like that dichotomy of it yeah. where everybody else in the room had played a game with these characters yeah. in, in their session, but my session, I, I'm the one character who should know more about, but then yeah. again, this doctor <laughs> often knows things that I don't as a player know, and that's why I have these stats that I roll yeah. to remember. Yeah. Which is also why, like, uh, anyone who was at that, that Galley Live show in 2018. Sure. When, yes. When I debuted yes. the Somnivores, the Somnivores were an idea I've had sitting in my head for, I want to say like five years. And they, uh, it started with that pun of Somnivore. And it's like, well, what is that? And uh, building that out from there. And then the idea of, well, what if they're the, these aliens that feed on like dream energy? And then Moffat screwed you over. And then Moffat screwed me <laughs> over. Um, but then there was, it was, it was the idea that, a somnivore isn't necessarily a race of aliens. It's like anything could be a somnivore. It's a class like, of somnivores. Yeah, like the, yeah. the fact that, you know, there are plants on Earth that are, that are technically somnivores. And that's why when you have a, if you wake up and you don't remember the dream you just had, that's, so this, this is an idea that has kind of been sitting and percolating in my head for, you know, 50,000 years and getting, again, getting to do it on the live show was cool. Getting to do it at this table was, I think, cooler because we did other, we, cause that live show was, here's 90 minutes. You've been captured by somnivores. Get off the ship. Mm. This was, <clears throat> Like there's, there are really strong narrative choices, which again bleed, you know, bleed into and also leak out from the character choices that the three of you made, mm. uh, playing. I think that I don't know that we would have done a Somnivore story this season if, um, if Mel had not been playing as Amelia Earhart. It just, it's because it's part of Amelia Earhart's history. It makes sense. Like that creature in that setting absolutely makes sense. Um, I, I will say as a player, I love the fact that we were playing an original monster because like as much as I love encountering the Doctor Who monsters, this is the first time in our show where there's, you know, there's Epoch talent in the first one. And that's not that's not a monster. People, it's, yeah. Yes. People, people, was, are the real people was a monster all along. Yeah. Yes. But this was the first time where this was an original monster. And as a player, I very much love that. And, you know, I put aside the fact that I had played that live session, but it's like. I want more original monsters so yeah. I, I can yeah. get the wonderful joy. Then that, that's me pitching to the people in the room right now. But I, I also think that, um, in a weird way, it lifted a lot of the constraints that sometimes the, any established Doctor Who monster have. It's like we're, we're taking, uh, um, something that exists. Like when you guys had the pregnant angel, that was a huge twist on something mm -hmm. and that was awesome. We always try to, do, that's like the main yeah. thing we've been trying to exactly. do. Exactly. With the classics is always, twisting them how in can, some way how that, can we do something that makes it stand out from yeah. the way that the show has treated these we don't characters. just want to yeah. take the sheet out yeah. of the book right yeah. but i like the original monsters as well for this that same reason because like i think that was one thing that was a fair criticism of the modern series mm. was how often they went back to the well on certain classic monsters and how like I, I think some of the better modern stories are ones that use monsters that were created for that storyline. Like, I yeah. think Flatlines is so good because, oh, like, yeah. here's a really interesting mm. new take on them. And that's what made the angels so interesting the first time we met them mm. was, here's this one monster we haven't seen very much of. And I can see, I can tell that's why for series 11, like, one of the things Chibble tried to do was not have any classic monsters in that first season until the, the, the special because he, like, wanted to be like, this is a brand new show, essentially. Mm. And I think that, 
for better or for worse. But I do think that like, I've had people who never watched Classic Who get frustrated when they're like, oh, I don't know this monster from Classic Who, so I don't understand. I don't like, do I need to know more about it? So, which usually you don't, mm. but there's still that feeling as a modern TV watcher of like, oh, they're making a thing that I won't understand because I didn't watch this. 50 yeah. Year like, would I appreciate it more if I knew or anything like that? Like yeah. the end of, um, uh, the one on Mars with Bill. Empress of Mars? Yes. Yeah. At oh, the yeah. end where the Alpha Centauri. Yeah, like that's a great up. moment if you've watched the, right. the two and, um, uh, Peladons episodes. And it just, but if you, you know, don't, you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Who was his eyeball doing? What is she I mean, I loved it, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yes. One of my, like, I think that in many ways, and this is, I think, accidental, our model when it has been a classic monster has actually kind of been Cold War because that was. Mark Gatiss taking an established classic monster, taking, you know, the Ice Warriors and saying, well, what haven't, what hasn't been done with the Ice Warriors? And the answer is, we've never seen one outside of its armor. Mm. And that's a really cool idea. Whether or not, yeah. I, I personally love Cold War. I know that the second half of season seven is kind of a mixed bag for a lot of people. I, I like, like that one. I like more of it than I don't like. I liked it more on second viewing than I did on first viewing. I think mm. it's one that, like, ages better. Yeah. David Warner. Absolutely. So good. I think that, mm. like, Oh, I just had it now. Oh, I think that's like Modern Who does a lot of that with classic monsters of like taking it out of the armor. It's almost, yeah. it's almost a thing where it's like, Hey, what if we did these characters now where we have better special effects than we did back then? Yeah. And like a great example is the way that the, um, the, um, Santar, not Santarans, um, cause Santarans, like, I was surprised when I went, watched Classic Who to realize the Santarans did take their helmets off of Classic yeah. Who. Cause I, the first time I did it on New Who, I assumed that we never had seen them outside their helmets, mm. and that's why they have like the moment to do it. Ba-ba-ba. But it was the um uh wow, I'm blanking on their names, not not the not the Sea Devils, the other ones, the the Silurians. The Silurians, thank you. I kept wanting to say Slovene, I knew that wasn't right. The Silurians, yes. like having them take their helmets off and having the dinosaur mm. faces and stuff like that was like a nice twist of being like, Oh, that old mask was just their ma- their helmets and now yeah. they actually have a face underneath it. And so yeah. that was like a cool thing and so i think that's a lot of what we do when we do have a classic yeah. monster on the show yeah that's been a big thing for ben and i is if we are using a quote-unquote classic monster how much closer can we make it feel to like a classic species rather yeah. than monster yeah. Like, yeah can we quote you know quote unquote sorry to i don't know be specious but humanize these <laughs> these various creatures yeah. and aliens yeah. from the show and and ensign galen was a was a real first crack at that too yeah. and um <laughs> Going on through the show, it became kind of a running thing. Not so much yeah. in Lethargica, mind yeah. you. Yeah. But th- that's the funny thing about Lethargica. It's very much kind of like a... Was that our first two-parter as well? Uh, that was our first pure one... two-parter without... Because yeah. because um, Angels had that had the lead-in of Edge of Discovery. Well, that's a that's a one plus three. That's one yeah. plus two. Yeah. Oh, one plus yeah. two plus one. Plus no, I think one. I think it was a three. I'm, I think I'm we, looking. I think... I'm looking at the episode. Oh wow! It's, it's a, a Man, edges, uh, edge yeah. of discovery leads into angels, which is a two part. Some reason I thought angels was was, was supposed to be a four parter and became a three parter. Yeah. Maybe it was supposed to be three parter and became a two parter. I think we had mapped it out as a four parter, and then it became apparent during recording it might become a three parter. And then when I made my poor choices it became a two-parter gotcha. by virtue of the fact that i was trying to extend it by an episode i guess that that recording session felt so long that i assumed it was like a five-parter <laughs> <laughs> it's still happening well i mean yeah. also we recorded uh edge of discovery and that um, might be why and yeah. angels back to back um but one of the things that I, I lethargica is one of the first examples of um a catastrophic failure in the game because we have a um dan did a role that led to not just a no but or it was it a yes but or no but but the idea there's that moment where dan is kind of operating machinery and the doctor and millie are inside past millie's dream space um and that you have that fight with that larger more aggressive mm. somnivore which by the way 
I was that idea was not something that that Michael and I had discussed before because that was I needed to do something for the the but I think it was a yeah actually I think it was a yes but there needed to be something that you had to mm-hmm. go up against for that success to work because yeah. the success was not quite high enough and I had been playing at the time the Resident Evil Two remake which is I don't know if you guys are familiar with it but there's this there's this creature um, who is uh, delightfully nicknamed by the uh, Resident Evil fandom as Mister X who stalks you through the police station throughout the game. Yeah. So that that image in my head of Mr. X is kind of where I went with this this large imposing like physically threatening somnivore coming towards mm. you and not like that I thought I'll drop it I'll, that's what I that's the butt that's what's dropped in we'll figure out how that works and, and it worked re- like listening to it again I love the sequence. I thought that that was always part of it to be perfectly honest. No. Um <laughs> but especially because that ended up being the first time in the series, we legitimately split the party. Yeah. Like, uh, in Angels, we were in different locations, but we were still, like, within proximity. But, yeah. like, Millie and the Doctor were in the dreamscape, and Travis was outside. And I think on both ends, it ended up... Uh, because there's always, you know, the fear of splitting the party in RPGs, but this is not a standard RPG where you build yeah. an encounter based on how strong your characters yeah, are. Yeah, Doctor I think it was splits the party constantly. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you I think, have to. I think yeah. because of that, Lethargica ended up being... Um, even stronger than maybe we thought it would be going into it. Not that there isn't that, but there ended up being so much additional character growth with um, going inside of Millie's head and sort of regaining some of the lost memory. And then uh, the actions that Travis took, which then led to him getting a brand new trait, which was like, that wasn't even what I was going for. That was just like, we need someone to stand guard. What's going to happen. So, and, and, and it was, it was great because it, felt again our, our intention is for this to feel as much like doctor who as possible and that felt really like doctor who where someone is left on their own to yeah. take care of this thing and you don't have the doctor right there to solve the problem yeah. for you or anything like that and i it, it, it was great i I ended up loving that two-part um and and if, real quick if i can talk about the scene that riley and i had absolutely um oh yeah the beginning of the episode yeah yeah, so that again that that had come out of me just thinking about travis in general just you know in between recording sessions i just i can't turn my brain off when i love playing in an rpg so thank you guys for that um and i was just thinking about it it's like you know he's just this regular guy who learned this horrible thing and there's only two people to talk to and Millie's going through the same thing. So why wouldn't Travis talk to the doctor about this? And, uh, Riley, your, your reaction was so genuine and comforting that I, I, you know, I didn't go in with an agenda for what Travis needed to hear. I went in with Travis wants to have a conversation with the doctor and you were the doctor in that moment. And it, and when we were able to, sort of bookend it with that moment at the end of the serial when he takes the staff of justice and puts it on on his mantle and it's sort of like yeah i mean you aren't guaranteed tomorrow Mm -hmm. and when you said that it was like you blew me away on that one uh no one is guaranteed tomorrow and it was just like I, i i was so thankful that i had said to these guys, can I do this? But I was even more thankful that you just knocked it out of the park. Thank you. It, that was tough because it was very much a scene that I had I had no knowledge of going into it. So I had to play it as organically as it would be for the Doctor in that moment. And it was very... I think that was one of those moments where I really started to feel like I was finding my footing as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'd had a few good moments before. And like I think I had a speech... That I, I had a speech that I liked that I did during the, t- the trial game that we didn't record. Mm-hmm. 
that or did we record it to maybe i don't remember the, when i was playing capaldi's doctor mm. i had a speech that i was like okay i kind of know what it's like to play the doctor and then i kind of feel like i wasn't hitting it the way i wanted to as we were recording like i was i was happy with my performance but i wasn't like just in love with it and that was a moment where i'm like oh i kind of get what it means to be the doctor in this moment yeah that episode the lethargic plot stands out for me my two moments that i liked about it as the doctor was i liked the moment where i came in with the spanish inquisition joke and you guys didn't let me just like have it be a silly joke like you made it a problem for the scene <laughs> and i liked that because i like the, the idea of, like there are times when the doctor is not 100 percent welcome where they show up at mm. and there's things that they'll say or do that is actually off-putting to people and that was a good moment like like where she is kind of like being silly and fun but she's walking into like a plague ward <laughs> and they're all like this is not appropriate and like there are moments on the show that doctors like yeah. that, and that's great, especially like Capaldi's doctor, who's yeah. like gruff. And I think that's also a very Tom Baker doctor thing to do mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, not quite as goofy and silly. That was a good one. And then also, once we get into Millie's dreamscape, first of all, the like, was that the episode where we started with the, the trick? Where like yeah. you pretended to be. Oh an my god! Yes. Where yes. we switched. It was you guys. The oh, cliffhanger man. was the in dream sequence where Michael was was GMing. Oh, instead I chickened out of that so fast. That was, <laughs> oh, I really wanted to see how far you could. Yeah. Well, the problem was that. that we broke it immediately. Yeah. I got it so fast. But uh, when we were in the dreamscape, I, that was an episode like similar to my my feelings about Edge of Discovery. That was a good episode for me to literally not be in the driver's seat because Millie was driving, but like be able to go, cool, this is a, this is Millie's dreamscape. The doctor can't control this space. So let me step back as a doctor and just be Millie's guide and like essentially be the Hobbs to her Calvin while we're in this space. The Hobbs to sure. yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Last night. On the fun, on the hyperdrive hyper RPG, we did Calvin and Hobbes and Shaw. <laughs> yeah. And I, I played Susie Durkins and somewhere along the line, it wasn't planned ahead of time. This is going to be the case, but so we had, we had, uh, a Xander from the double clicks playing Calvin. Mm -hmm. We had Emma Fife as Shaw. There was this guy, Josh, who I didn't know who was playing. Uh, sorry. Emma played Hobbes in a tiger suit. So she was, mm. There was actual Calvin and Hobbes and then Shaw was supposed to be Jason Statham. <laughs> and the, the gag that the GM came up with on the fly, uh, Cameron Rice, was that when people looked at like when like everybody looked at the tiger, we saw the stuffed tiger. Yeah. Except except for Calvin, who saw the talking tiger that Calvin sees. Yeah. And and then he decided later on that whenever Shaw looked at the tiger, he saw the rock. <laughs> and so whenever a scene would happen, Cameron would describe the scene three times as like, here's what Calvin sees, here's what he's like, you see the rock doing these things, and then he, the rest of you see a stuffed animal. So whenever Xander, whenever whenever Hobbs would do a thing. Xander as Calvin would describe what he was doing with the stuffed animal so that we would all see happening. And then, yeah, there was always this gag of like, you see the rock. Like at one point, Calvin's like, Calvin holding a giant, the rock. Yeah. And like, so. like, well, like, like when, uh, like, like at one point, like Calvin had a monster truck that he, he saw as a monster truck. We all saw as a red wagon. He hitched it to the back of Shaw's car. But like when Shaw with Revere, he saw the rock squeeze into this wagon with, <laughs> with a little boy. It was so funny oh, and fantastic. so great. You know, I think we had planned Lethargica mainly as like, okay, this is our great chance to do a historical story, yeah. do all this stuff with Millie and like deal with her history. And I read this whole book of like letters from Amelia's, literally the book where it was like all these letters Amelia Earhart had written to family to really get in the vibe of where we were. Mm. And the thing that was really cool uh, and goes back to, you know, all the stuff we don't expect within the show is it's, it's also really a cool Travis showcase. Like there's so mm. much good stuff of both companions in there and that was something we were worried about going in yeah and it, it's like it's so cool how you know the group we've assembled handled that yeah. you know and and um it, it, it was amazing how it all came together 
Yeah, it, it does all kind of nicely click together in, cause I know that, um, with Riley, I know that your, your concern with the doctor is kind of dominating the proceedings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Lethargic is a really good example of you, um, kind of, I don't want to, steering is maybe the wrong word because that sounds a little bit more controlling, but like helping, uh, Travis and Millie kind of point towards where they can solve the problem with their skill set. Yeah. Um, whilst also still being, the doctor, while still, you know, ha- coming to conclusions yourself and making character choices that are informed by the events that are happening. And I think, feel like, for me, Lethargica is the serial that really feels like, okay, I feel like we've figured out who these characters are and what the show is now. And so that, for me, is, Lethargica is, is, is very much for me the serial where, okay, this is where it gets good. Not that the earlier serials are bad, but Cost of Progress. It's where it clicks in a phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cost of yeah. Progress is by definition us figuring out what we're doing. Um, and, uh, Angels was by definition a cost, a mess because I, I screwed up some stuff, but, but still a learning process. And I feel like Lethargica is the first <laughs> serial where we got, we got to act upon the things we had learned doing those first two serials. And it reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of, when, um, you know, when Billy Piper and Russell T. Davies had talk, talked about filming, uh, that first season, the Eccleston season, and then planning, oh, we can have a, you know, we can have a day to shoot, shoot this shot, and then realizing, oh no, we're doing like big effects shots that the, you know, that the BBC and British television haven't done before. We need to change production accordingly, kind of all of the teething problems they went through at the beginning mm-hmm. of filming Eccleston season compared to, how they were at the end of it, where they knew what they were doing and they were able to like plan and structure the shoots accordingly. Luckily, yeah. it's, way, it's way funny. less expensive for it's us funny to figure stuff out. You yeah. bring up Billy Piper though, because this ep- the Lethargica has always reminded me of The Empty Child, not only because of a historical setting and because of the sickness, but it was also. And John Barryman was here. Oh, yeah. But it, but yeah, it was also. Remarkably quiet for John Barryman. <laughs> He's actually in the room now. You wouldn't know. He's actually a shockingly quiet person. In real life. Yeah. When he's yeah. on stage. Um, but it is also, you know, it, it's the first time, maybe not the first time I'm maybe I'm misremembering, but you know, Rose goes off separate from the doctor and, you know, meets, uh, Captain Jack. So I think there's been a lot of parallel to that in my mind, uh, just between the two of them. And that's also probably my favorite two episodes from mm. the Eccleston season. So yeah, it's just funny to hear you make some sort of yeah. Billy Piper connection because I have had this separate one this entire time. It's yeah. always, you know, the, the, the creepiness of the sleeping sickness ward has always in, in a good way reminded me of the gas mask yeah. people and mm. etc. I think the last thing I'll say about it before we move on, I think we should like, maybe like listener question or something before we move on to another arc. Yeah, I, yeah. I have a question. Cool. But I think that the last thing I'll say about it is like what you said about the doctor guiding the companions to make their own, like to steer them a little bit. I think that's like an element of the doctor. I think that like there is an element of the show of the, the real show in our show, but where the, every companion is changed by how they've experienced the doctor. And to a certain degree, that's been, that's been used as a negative at times. Like when Rory says to the doctor during Vampires of Venice, like the danger of you is that you make people put themselves in danger. Mm. Like you make them like that. But at the same time, every character who travels with the doctor is fundamentally changed for better or for worse mm. from traveling with them. And I think that like making them someone like, like taking Martha Jones from just a med student to someone who's like working with units and with Torchwood and making her like this warrior kind of like and Rose, like the fact that Rose shows up. Rose starts as just an unassuming shop girl and ends up mm. someone carrying a, a universe cannon. Like, it's just like that kind of thing is, is, is an element of being a doctor's companion. So it was good this episode to kind of see both Travis and Millie moving in that direction. Yeah. Do you want uh, me to ask that question that you just highlighted? Uh, I can, I was going to actually just bring it up. 
Oh, yeah, good for the flow. Uh, it's it's funny too. Um, we've been talking about it a few times, but there's a, a, a listener question from Whole Lot of Weird, which was uh, for the GM and the the co GM or whatever I am. Uh, uh, were there any moments where the players move the story in a direction you 100% were not expecting? And yes, uh, uh, I think a big one is actually that scene between Travis and the Doctor yes. at the beginning of Lafargica, because without that scene, we don't have Hardwire. Exactly. Like without uh, absolutely. You, yes. Honestly, like without you asking the question, Dan, of like. Wait, would I have died? Which was not something that was like Ben and I had even clocked. We hadn't thought about it. At all. <laughs> because of that, we had like, oh yeah, Travis probably would have died. How would Travis have died? Maybe it's this random other Doctor Who monster. Like it, it just it came like a bolt out of the blue. Like oh, it was the wire, whatever. And like, ding, hardwired was done. Yeah, I, I, like, it I was ready. I don't think it. We immediately went, oh, the wire. I think the idea was, well, what if we were to revisit the library yeah. in Travis's hometown and we find out what happened? Yeah, and then we the knew op- from that scene we have to yeah. go to to, to we had to do Travis that. Lives. We and that imme- yeah, that immediately put us in the place of like well what would cause that and i think the wire just felt organically like the right creature to put in that setting feels and, yeah because we we had that thing of you know in the in the we're, we're skipping ahead here but whatever yeah. like you know Fine. whatever like <laughs> the idiot's lantern is like that thing of of tv is bad or mm-hmm. not your brain blah 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 and we were like oh it was the same thing with the internet in the 90s so yeah. why don't we just modernize this villain it was like very yeah. It's something that I feel like the show would do. Yeah. I would say the toughest thing about The Wire was that it's one of the monsters that I felt like it was really hard to think of another solution for defeating them Mm. than what had already been done on the show. And Mm. I think we kind of still kind of did the show version of it. But I think it was still a fun episode. I think that was an episode where the variations weren't made by like how we handle the monster, but more how we behaved as characters. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That is a, a really good transition into Devils from the Deep. We're not there yet. We're still not No, we got the we got the handheld wall. Oh my god, why do I think that it's like the next one? Why do, <laughs> do I you listen yeah. to you the show? Because you want to pull off You just want to pull off that band-aid and I honestly cannot blame you. I, no, but it's it's yeah. It's it's funny because it really did lead yeah. me naturally into that because uh anyway, yeah. yeah. So um, all that. Lethargica is the only serial that does not end with a uh a, a, a coda with Roman or a Rhoda, if, if as I've been referring to them in no. my own No, okay, right, that's fine. Um but instead on, the doctor <laughs> Okay. The the serial ends with the TARDIS already arriving at its next destination, and the Doctor receiving that message on the psychic paper that says "Coffee Ten Minutes." Yeah, uh-huh. and ag- again, I, uh, that and that takes us into the handheld war. Tim Shorten, Tim, Tim Shorten's, <laughs> which is my favorite joke that has grown organic organically out of this yeah. out of the game. Um, Literally but, organically, yeah. the Meat station. Yeah. Um, the handheld war was originally intended to be a lunar interlude, like a one-shot, one-episode story, and kind yeah. of grew into two, I think, partially in the planning stage, we thought it might go to two, and then it just did during the course of the game in a way mm-hmm. that I, I was very happy with. A great example of a thing that clearly, there's no way in the world that you would have planned ahead of time, like, Dan's gonna make us do a Pokemon challenge. <laughs> no. <And> it was, <laughs> no. it was literally like we, like, we stopped recording, and Michael and Ben, they had to, like, sit and, like, decide how to make a Pokemon challenge work in game. And then we came yeah. back to play it. I apologize for that, but at oh, the no, same no, time, no, 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 no. But at the same will, time, I am not apologizing. No, I will stand corrected <laughs> as a player. That was a moment like, what are we really going to do this? And this is stupid. But then when I actually heard it, like, that was one of the few episodes that I actually like listened to and like hearing it back in the episode, I'm like, this is fantastic. This is so <laughs> it, fun. It's and, yeah. like, it's also the first, the, the moment of the show that gave us our first piece of fan art. Yes. Someone drew Travis with, to which I with can, their Jolteon. I cannot say thank you enough. I'm sorry I don't have the name <laughs> yeah. of the artist in front of me, but I was 
floored when I saw that. So mm. thank you. That yeah. that meant the world to me, truthfully. And it was a great moment because it, it showed the thing like, here's a thing that would never happen on Doctor Who, <laughs> yeah. but can happen in Doctor Who because of us. Yeah. I like that about it. And that was, uh, that's another one of those. We started having these moments like lethargic and forward, and I think even before, but, you know, sessions being sessions, uh, 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 where there would be these moments where you as the players would hit on something and Ben and I would look across the table and be like, this is going better than we thought. Like, <laughs> we just have this like look of like, yes. this is going so well, dude. We this kind like, of, this all the players are being brilliant eyebrow waggle that we yeah. do at each other from across and the table. And it's just like the handheld wars, the, the, the Pokemon thing in handheld war is like one of the best examples of that to me because the handheld war as a title was like our planned title the whole time. And it was just this oblique reference to the idea that Game Boys are bad in the future. Like, there's some kind of weapon of mass destruction. They were used for some... And it was like an oblique reference to, like, you know, the handheld video game wars, blah, blah, blah. And then Dan's like, I'm going to have a battle (laughs) with this dude using my handheld... And I was just like... He's literally doing a handheld war. Yeah. He's doing a handheld war. What? Oh my god! Like, it was like a fun. I like the idea of the Game Boy being a weapon of mass destruction in the future because it kind of legitimized the gag in in Cost of Progress of this is the remnants of the Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite early jokes yes. that got oh, into yeah. this show. I couldn't believe it made it in, and I was so proud of it. And then the idea that like, oh, the idea that there is a video game war in the future is yes. so great. Um, I think this is also a good learning experience for us as a group too because it was this was the big reveal of Roman. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think we can admit we kind of stuck the landing a little bit in that we forgot that not everybody has watched classic yes. and knew yeah. who Romana was. Whoops. And we actually had to have Dan as, as someone who didn't know, be a surrogate for the audience that started the part two and go, can you tell me who this character is that we're like, we just had this big reveal, mm. but half the crowd's like, that's Which, the guy. I think cool. it was a really useful moment. Yeah. Again, in the show, in terms of keeping us accessible to as many people as possible. You know, people who were watching uh, week to week would have had, who didn't know, would have mm-hmm. had two weeks to like, I guess, Google, sorry, or like, wait for us to explain it, which I, I'm glad we had the conversation on the day coming back into the next session. Yeah. And I, I still, you know, I stick by the decision of putting that conversation at the front of two, because it yeah. feels like it's part of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think I, I was more concerned with going in, uh, one, I didn't know half the story because mm. Ben planned yes. like sort of the Time Lord stuff on that without me even knowing, which was very cool and also, again, scary. Uh, <laughs> and two, I just had this realization of like, okay, people have been listening like eight episodes. They've been listening conceivably like 16 weeks. Like they want to know who the guy in black is already. Like yeah. they don't, I'm not going to wait we a didn't whole want to stretch year. That out too we also want the people to just like let rest on the laurels of assuming it's the master. Yeah, yeah, because it could be disappointing if we waited a whole season at the end. I'm like, I'm Jeff. I do the trains. I'm the time like, Jeff. Yeah. Who's this well, guy? And that's actually, a, I think, a flaw with the with the TV show as well. In that, because I always think when there's a new Doctor and a new creative team, especially, it can be like a soft reboot for the show. Mm-hmm. But both master storylines under Capaldi are ones where, like, if you didn't, if you hadn't watched the Tenet years, if you hadn't watched Classic mm-hmm. Who, one of the mm-hmm. two, you wouldn't know who Missy's supposed to be. Yeah, and like. That was a series 10 was like the first episode is called the pilot. Like it's intended to be like you could get on. This is an onboarding season. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as Missy arrives and you don't know who she is or where she's come from. Now, anyone who's new to the show is just other creek without a paddle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a big problem with that season, in my opinion, because I think I love that season me as a hoof, as a hoovian. Mm-hmm. But I think like I, I think of the pilot as a great episode to show a never watched who person. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that they watch that season. They're going to get so lost yeah. in the middle of it. I, I, I agree with that assessment. Um, I think one of my favorite things about 
the the stuff with Roman is also my favorite thing about the 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 1950s Chumbly's cliffhanger that we had at the start of or the the revolution that we had at the start of me uh, doing stupid voices too. Not just you doing stupid voices, <laughs> but I think that's that's not just us doing something interesting from a storytelling perspective or from a role play perspective. That's us actually using the format of the show of a you know a fortnightly one hour and change podcast to our advantage, like resolving that cliffhanger basically as a different adventure in a slightly different show um, with the Chumblies, and then also getting the play with Roman and kind of having people who, when they started listening, Michael kind of said, oh, I'm the engineer, and then we establish him as this character, and then we go, boom, here's who this character is, and then here's an adventure where he's a player, mm-hmm. and Michael has no... Like, your reaction to, oh, it's Maxil, oh, is, was... Cause I had you, no idea. Yeah. We, we yeah. planned the meat station together. We we sat down and planned like where the vendors would be. We sat down and planned out the stuff with the Game Boy. Um, Michael knew that someone would be coming to the base to um, presumably the Time Lords were yeah, after me. Yeah, yeah, uh, but didn't know exactly. You, I mean, really, you didn't even know it would be the Time Lords. Like, you, we kind of yeah, handed that. Just, yeah, yeah, you kind of handed that off to me, and I immediately knew exactly what I wanted to do and who I wanted to to pull from that. And your reaction to oh, it's Maxwell. And he's a general now. Um, like you, I can, your laugh on that recording is so. Oh no! Well, it's a great example <laughs> of what we can do with this format that you can't do with. Yeah. I guess Big Finish could do it if they wanted to bring Colin Baker back in to play Maxel, but other like, but on the show you couldn't suddenly have Maxel. Like people would know, yeah. like what really? But like it was such a great thing to go. Yeah, here's this character that was played by this actor, and we're going to establish that this does look just like the Doctor, yeah. and he keeps his same face, and it's fine. And it, that was really great. Yeah. yeah, and I think that was another good example of us, because when Maxwell's introduced in that episode, part of that, la- you know, part of my reaction is like, oh no, like, are people gonna get who this guy is? Like, how much explanation Maxwell? Yeah. We get? Like, I was afraid we were going too deep into like the canon for yeah. a second, but but part of that is like, because yeah. it's very inside baseball in terms of like, oh, this actor played this other guy in this one thing, but like, you know, but part of that is is I think also signaling that like when it comes to the Gallifrey stuff, when it comes to the Time Lord stuff. We're going deep. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the plan. Like, next mm-hmm. season, we're not really doing classic monsters or any of that stuff because, like, we're, we're coming up with a lot more original monsters because season two, like... We have some plans. We're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we're attacking, like, the part of the, the Doctor Who mythos that wasn't explained until, like, halfway through the third Doctor's tenure yeah. where this guy is from. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, there's stuff that, again, I don't, I don't want to go into too much about what we're, we're, we're doing because I think half of the fun is having that come up organically. I don't really Okay, so here's the exact nah, plan. No, 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 no. Um, but yeah, a lot of the stuff that, that we're going to be, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but a lot of the stuff we're doing for season two is stuff that Michael and I have been talking about since before we asked you guys to, to join us on the podcast. Like this is, this is fun, fun stuff. We we're, have, we're in the end game now. We're not. We have all, we we're have, in the mid game now. We have season two and part of season three, like nice. mapped out to an extent. Yes. And we'll say no more about that. Um, where did, uh, there's a question, because by this point, by the handheld war, we've had a, a good number of Doctor speeches from you, Riley. Oh, okay. uh, which leads me into another question from Whole Lot of Weird on, uh, who, who sent us an email, which is there have been multiple very good Doctor speeches. Are those speeches something that you do any amount of pre-planning for as much as you can in a dice-based improv setting, or are they all off the duck? Thank you very much for that compliment, uh, saying that they're very good. That makes me feel really happy to hear that because they are 100% off the dome because I never know when they're going to be appropriate for the episode, like where it's going to come in at. So it is very much an in-the-moment thing. And I, I don't think that I have pre-planned any of my speeches. And I, I don't think that I even could have because I don't know what's going to happen 
until the moment where it's happening. And I, when we did this, the, the planning session, the like pregame session, I had just said, oh, I give an inspiring speech. And then then, <laughs> then was like, okay, what's the speech? And then I had to come up with a doctor speech off the top of my head. Which you did very, very well. Thank like, you. I mean, I, I, to kind of uh, peek a little bit further behind the curtain, when we were in the early planning stages of the podcast, our thinking was the same thing we do with the live show, which we, we roll the dice to see who's going to be playing the doctor. <laughs> and then they're the doctor until they regenerate. Yeah. And what we ended up doing based off of that, that initial like test session, that mesh session to see how well everyone played, you playing as the doctor, like I think everyone at that table universally agreed that you you embodied that character so well that we couldn't picture any anyone else at the table playing that character. Thank you. That makes <laughs> me feel really good. I mean I think there was also an element of everyone kind of had a concept for a companion they were so already kind of excited about mm. that like they didn't even really want to play the doctor um but it was definitely a, gr- a degree yeah, of that but that was well, really good because but... yeah, i definitely like i think i was intimidated at the idea of playing the doctor i mean i'd already i'd already played the doctor in role-playing games on streams before mm. but they were like charity one-off kind of things whatever but this was like the first time where i was like i was a little intimidated at first the idea of like embodying this character but after that session i was like no i can do this this is gonna be fun exciting i'm really looking forward to it i'm like build for it yeah. so but yeah all the speeches are compl- and it's very scary in the moment mm-hmm. to like have to give a speech and like worry that like it's going to be seen too much like a caricature of what the doctor does or like like ha- but so i, I it me- means a lot to me that they are connecting with the audience and they're feeling good things about it thank you like for me i don't know if this is ever going to happen because i don't know if this podcast is ever going to get big enough for that to occur but for me my dream is you know how people would give like Sylvester McCoy and John Hurt the the Pandora open speech would be people giving at, at Q and A hmm. panels with doctors speeches that you've given on this oh podcast because honestly die. you I, I've spoken before the like, beyond, like the moment at the end of <laughs> Getaway Part Two is is my all time favorite Doctor Who moment it is absolutely that but you have also through the course of the show over the nineteen episodes that we've done so far you've delivered some of my all time favorite Doctor speeches like I I I don't want to sound too too gushy because I don't want it to affect the dynamic that we have, particularly going into season two, but you have become professional relationship. Yes, you have become <laughs> one of my favorite doctors through Thank the course you. of this. Like you, everything, the choices you make, the 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 way that you play the character, the speeches you give are all so on point that it is it is criminal that a quirk of geography is is really the key thing that is preventing you from getting cast as the doctor <laughs> on the show itself. Like, you, you 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 you've really i don't know what i expected when we started doing this podcast i think i expected i'd get to have a fu- play a fun game with my friends and we didn't if we didn't enjoy it we would stop and that'd be fine but you the the what you and and also mel and, and dan brought to the table absolutely exceeded all of my expectations for this show and it has i think my one of my dreams is to get to write for Doctor Who at some point in the future. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that ship has probably sailed for me. But like this experience is, it is a real treat to get to kind of sit down and map out with Michael like here's what a serial might be and here's what a season is going to be like, and then have you guys kind of react to what we throw at you in ways that just feels it is it is uniquely exciting to get to tell Doctor Who stories and then also as those stories are unfolding see you guys reacting to them because it's like some old, it's like getting to write doctor who and watch a new doctor who at the same time <laughs> I, yeah it really is yeah. that experience of like 
oh, they're doing the story I want them to be doing, but like <laughs> they're still doing cool Doctor Who. Things. It's, it's such a maybe if wild, they could, maybe if they could yeah. stop tapping on the walls so much though, yeah, <laughs> trying to yeah. pull it down. <laughs> yeah. I'm fine. Listen, if you want to wobble the sets, I'm totally okay with it. I have no problems with that. I I I love it when you guys again the getaway part two. I, I hate to keep coming back to it, but I don't keep talking it about is, it. It is yeah, real good. It is, I, I, Michael and I had not even considered no. the possibility of like you know the parallel universe Doctor's TARDIS being somewhere, mm-hmm. a- and that was not that was not even a, a concept that we had considered. That was then. one of those looks at the table of like, oh no, <laughs> she has another TARDIS. Oh, ben, no, Ben, you you have a tell which I love in the re-listen. <laughs> it's when you go, oh, I don't hate that. It's. <laughs> It, it's we know we're on to something yeah, yeah. it's it, and it's it's you know i don't say this to make fun of you in any way yeah. which is having re-listened to the whole thing it's like okay all right ben's fine with this weird 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 choice we're about to make <laughs> when my, michael pitches me stuff all the time because we we uh we message each other on facebook and he frequently is like well what if we do this and i go oh i do not hate that <laughs> that is my immediate response message it's usually how i know we're on but it's yeah, like true, your catchphrase yeah. for like this is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the other key, the other key thing, um, f- uh, very, we'll touch on this very briefly before we move on to to devils. But no, um, that is actually next, right? Yes, yes. It yeah, is for real. Next. Oh my god. Um, actually, we're going to skip it and go straight into hardwire. No, no. Uh, we already kind of did hardwire. To be yeah. honest with you. Mm. So um, we got to do two things. Uh, we got to make two significant changes uh, as a result of the handheld war. Firstly, we got to have uh, Travis's Game Boy become more of a uh, a, a gadget, a tool that you could yeah. use. Yeah. Which we haven't played with too much. Well, to uh, be fair, I was not the one pushing for that. That came out of uh, we needed to get a message, and I think Mel yeah. spent the story points. Um, and and for the most part, I was trying not to use it as like this yeah. magical Deus Ex Machina. But yeah, that, that was yeah. definitely the first time yeah. where like oh something not what this thing was meant to do is happening. It's yeah, so it's the same challenge of trying not to use the sauce screwdriver as being the thing that saves the day. Yeah. It's like it's like a balancing yeah. act. I think our our key thought process, Michael, did you want to share this? Yeah, we wanted to make like a point five Sonic yeah. for you to have, just because we thought it would be like a cool mechanism, <laughs> you know, to open doors and do kind of basic things. And I don't think Ben and I were counting on you as the player being like, I don't want this. <laughs> it's just, it's like such a funny thing of like, yeah. we, we were doing the live show, which isn't out yet, but there's there's a bit in the the recent live show we did where you're like. I want to plug the plot device into the plot device, <laughs> the plot device. and it's like, man, what, what do you like this? Thing? Come on! Oh like, no, I love it, but I just didn't want to. Yeah. I just didn't want to use it as a crutch, and I don't think narratively it, it was capable of certain things yeah. at that point. Yeah, so. and I think I, I mean yeah. there are, when we created the idea of well, the Game Boy Pocket is used as a tool by terrorists. Our primary thought process was it's a lock picking device. It is, it is a, <laughs> it'll be it, so cool for future yeah, serials. It but. is a device that is so simple, mo- like advanced technology doesn't know how to deal with the signals it puts out. So it just like, I don't know, uh, uh, I'll open fine. Like that was kind of our thought process. And then you guys, you, 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 you used it a little bit for that, but like, like mostly it got used in getaway to like send messages back and forth. Yeah. And, mm. I like that Travis doesn't know what an iPhone is, but then his Game Boy became an iPhone essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which... Oh man, does that mean at some point Travis is going to lose the Game Boy and it's going to like land at like Apple headquarters and <laughs> someone's going to find it and be like, what? I have well, an not idea. Anymore, not. <laughs> hey, no. Steve, it's your cousin, Marvin Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know that new gadget you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. Okay, that's canon. Okay, so um, 
We are running low on time here in the session, so we're going to do one more question, and then we'll come back some other time. We'll figure it out for the other half of season well, one. The, they don't need enough for the audio. They're going to hear it when it drops. In their yeah, there you go. Well, there you are. Uh, so I just want to end with one more question. Um, uh, again, from uh, Terry. Uh, I feel that the show is very inclusive in many regards, not only related to Doctor Who fans that have seen the classic series and the ones that have only seen the new series, uh, but also people that are very familiar with tabletop RPGs and people that aren't. How do you, as a group, find the balance among all these different listeners' profiles that are following the show so no one feels ruled out? Um, and that is like something we've really... That's a constant it's constant. I feel like. Because yeah. what, what, what is cool is I think by the nature of the group of players we have at this table, um, like Dan is only really like a new series fan. So you don't have all that crazy classic series brain of Morbius crap in your head. Whereas... You know, you. Ben, myself, and I don't know how deep mm-hmm. Riley, or at least you're you're very deep on the TV show. I know that much, but like you recently completed the pilgrimage, almost there. Yeah, yes. I, have, I have like like a like a, a, a serial and a half of of, of uh, McGuffin. Of, McGuffin. Oh, <laughs> well, you've McCoy. got survival. I have I, I have a serial and a half of McCoy to get through. Oh really. yeah. Um. Uh. And whereas like Ben and I. I, I don't know how, how deep you are, my friend, but like I've been reading those internet timelines since they were a black background green text. You know, like I, I was watching Doctor Who before there was a new Doctor Who on PBS. Like I, yeah. I'm kind of that last burst of like yeah. real crabby yeah. novel fan, you know, yeah. I'm just like the looms. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, no, not the, the looms. I'm, I'm weirdly becoming like a comic fan because of Jody Hauser writing yeah. their mm. Doctor series. And I, don't, into that, I don't read so. any of the, I don't read many yeah. of the comics. And I've only heard a few of Big Finish. So like Big Finish something that I would like. And I know some people for whom Big Finish is the definitive Doctor Who. No, and it's like, not. I, but I, I, <laughs> enjoyable. I didn't say for you, I said for some people. <laughs> no, not for me. I love yeah. that's that's what that. Our friend Michael Soko. Michael Soko is like, I think he thinks of Big Finish more as like the Doctor Who he would engage with than and in the McCoy era as well. But like he, yeah, I know some people who feel that way. I had some friends who go to Galley who were way more excited to see the big finish people than they are any the like modern show people. I get that. I mean one of my top three doctors is David Warner and he's an exclusively big finish doctor. Like I I get that. Yeah. Um I, I know that when we were in the early planning stages we very much wanted our first season to we wanted to try to mimic the um not necessarily the structure but the intent of the Russell T. Davies era where the first season was you know, they, they, and also the structure. Yeah, but they also they kind of deliberately kept things like earthbound and kind of the the first season. I think um, Elizabeth Sandifer says it best, where the first season is is Doctor Who kind of crack gate crashing other genres of television, mm. and that's what, that's that's kind of what we wanted to do as well. We wanted it to be kind of accessible for um, for people who were fans of RPGs and maybe other actual play podcasts, and because we knew that again, one of our key influences. We wear it on our sleeve as the adventure zone, which does a really good job of blending story with, with humor. We kind of wanted it to, to have that vibe without necessarily alienating people who are not Doctor Who fans. And then we very immediately did not do that. We did so many, like, <laughs> we brought back so many classic Doctor Who characters and monsters and villains and aliens. And I feel like a lot of that got lost in the writing process as we mm. thought of these really cool ideas. Like, no one, no one on, no one at the BBC is itching to bring back the wire and yet dot, dot, dot. So, um, oh, that's part of the fun. Yeah, I, I think like a help and a hindrance for us in season one was we had the entire toolbox. You literally had all of the source books for all of the doctors sitting yes. on a shelf, and we're just like, oh, we can just do that, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. I think the difference too between this show and the Adventure Zone is that like Dungeons and Dragons has fervent fans who know about the mm-hmm. lore of the Forgotten Realms and stuff like that, but Dungeons and Dragons doesn't necessarily have like a common like fan population canon necessarily. Mm-hmm. That like I mean. 
yes, there there is a canon to the D and D like stories and like the the, the like the dragon what, like Dragonlance series and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but. I don't think that's like the universally understood like lore of the story because the whole point of D and D is that it's a thing you sit down and create with your friends around a table. Yeah, yeah. Whereas for us, we are doing that, but we are using the sandbox of a created IP, mm-hmm. and like so, I think that like people who have never played D and D can accept can access Adventure Zone and start from the beginning and know nothing about the the D and D universe and the planes stuff like that and get into it. Mm. I have a really hard time imagining anybody would be interested in this show if they have absolutely zero like interest in doctor who yeah like mm-hmm. i i mean and i i mean i apologize if you're listener and you do feel that way and i'm glad you're That'd listening awesome. I, i'm glad yeah. that you're yeah. taking something from this if you're not a doctor who fan but i think that it is fair to say that no one who has never watched i mean maybe i mean i mean at least for the most part i assume most of our audience has watched or has some interest in doctor who mm-hmm. which is you know a positive and a negative because it does it does limit who our audience can be whereas i think that like adventure zone or other rpg shows you can kind of just go hey these people tell this fun story you can jump right into it i do think that ours has a little bit of an element of like hey you know that show or series that you like here's some people doing their version of it and it's a yeah and i think part of that's cuz part of that too is like we're introducing a whole new system that a lot of people don't even know exists yeah. to this podcast sphere as well. Like, hey, there's a show, Doctor Who. Did you know that there's an entire role-playing system where you can just, like, yeah. do it? But yeah. And and I also think that's something that, you know, the Adventure Zone doesn't necessarily do as far as I remember from the balance arc of, like, they're not really trying to, like, teach folks about how to play Dungeons & Dragons or, like, explain yeah. how the systems work. They do occasionally. Uh, and I will say that, like, there's been moments with Adventure Zone where, like, I go... Wow, I never realized you could do that with D and D, and that kind of like helped me get back to wanting to play it more. Okay, like I, I often cite the pedals to the metal arc as being something that I was like, I never knew that, I never, never thought that you could do this. And now D and D has put their own book out that's essentially the like Mad Max type thing of that yeah, storyline. I feel so. like uh, Wizards of the Coast was also like, you can do a race in a thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think part of um, what helps us more than anything else is that um, the Doctor Who RPG is very lightweight in a good mm-hmm. way it's we it's flexible. are yeah and we only really do dice rolls you know not nearly as often as you'd have to for other games which is why we are we do have the constraints of being within the doctor who universe but for the most part we are telling a doctor who story and then when we try to do something it's the dice and the rules that come into play then that tell us if we fail or succeed or you know whatever yeah. and you know a lot of times uh we will take those failures because we are telling a story and sometimes failing is more interesting than succeeding. Yeah. And I, and, uh, and as, let me find my words. Sorry. Uh, I, I think one of the benefits to having my character be an outside perspective character is that occasionally I can have Travis say to doctor, wait, who were the sea devils? And it's completely within character for mm-hmm. me to do so yeah um and i off mic have said to riley do you not want me to do that because you know that then you just have to kind of say just kind of exposition and she's had said to me no no do this because we can explain to the audience who yeah, it is your and, audience surrogate at that point yeah and what the companion is on the show a lot of times. exactly mm-hmm. and uh Sometimes I do know a monster because I've seen an episode and sometimes I legitimately don't or a character or whatever. And it's, it, it's, I think it's helpful that yeah. I can 
be the voice of the listener who maybe doesn't know who the Sea Devils are. Like, it's a term I had definitely heard before, but I didn't know that they were uh, related to the Silurians until we got to Devils of the Deep. So it's just one of those things where, uh, as someone who is only part of the New Who era and only has a tangential knowledge of the classic stuff, it I, I will gladly put myself in the shoes of the audience members who maybe want to ask that question themselves and don't have to go to Wikipedia and read through uh, a giant block of text rather than just listen to the episode. I I, I would like mm-hmm. for that to be part of the listening experience. Mm. Talking about the dice thing real quick, I think you made a really good point about how we're kind of a light dice show and like the way like the stats are important and they do matter for certain things. I think that I actively try to avoid situations where I have to roll to determine if I succeed or fail because the way the dice is set up, the way the stats are set up for Time Lords and the Doctor especially, it's almost impossible for me to fail a roll because my stats are so OP. And like that's just the nature of the Doctor being this larger than life character. So I actively try as a as a player to do things that come down to role play more than stats because I think that makes for more interesting story. I think yeah. it's easier to fail in conversation than it is when you're like, okay, just roll to see. Like whenever it's like ingenuity technology, it's like, okay, well I'm probably gonna succeed this role. So then it comes down to, okay, how do I role play how this actually works yeah. versus yes, I succeeded on the role and now I move forward. And I think that, you know, one of the things I love about the Doctor Who role-playing game, and we are we are running out of time, so I'll, I'll wrap this up, but one of the things I love about the Doctor Who role-playing game is it is very much a... It, it is designed, I think, more than any other RPG that I've personally played, is it is really built for collaborative storytelling. You have mm-hmm. the story points that are there deliberately to allow you to make changes to the story and the game environment to suit what your characters may need mm-hmm. at the time. And speaking a little bit to, you know... You know, the show as something that can non-Doctor Who fans listen to. Our download numbers are really, like, shockingly healthy for, for a, a kind of a, a new, like, we've only done 19 episodes, uh, for a, for a tabletop role-playing game that is so fixed in one particular, like, TV fandom. franchise. Yeah, yeah. For, for fandom. Um, I think we do largely attract Doctor Who fans. Um, but I think that, um, there's, uh, there's, there's a, there's a, um, someone who was very uh, prolific, um, kind of discourse debate Doctor Who um, kind of opinion haver on Tumblr, who since moved over to Twitter, who goes by the handle of Script Scribbles, who um, said to said to uh, said to me on Twitter recently that one of the things he loves about the show is it reminds him why he fell in love with Doctor Who in the first place, like that kind of that real sense of anything can happen. And so I my that was really really wonderful to 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 see in that in that tweet. And that was really to our me. goal yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, that's kind show of show the absolute flexibility of the system. Yeah, and the show, and you know, it's, yeah, it's a great big yeah. We done with this type of storytelling, and that's kind of that that's something that's really magical. I I hope that people who are Doctor Who fans, and we get tweets from people as well who like the finale dropped the same day as the latest big finish tortured box set and we got a couple of tweets from people going oh man i have to listen to this box set and the getaway finale at the same time that's like a six hour block it's like that's really like when when people are thinking about us in the same you know the same breath as as big finish that to me feels like i this it stops just being here's a fun thing i get to do with my friends because i love doing it and it starts being you know when you hear that there are people out there in the world who really enjoy what you're doing and the stories that you're crafting with your friends and knowing that we are not the only ones who cried at the, as a result of the, at the end of the getaway part two. Like, you feel less crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have enough time, unfortunately, to continue this particular recording session. So we're going to uh, put a pin in the conversation and come back. 
for another episode in uh, probably in just a week, actually. So you're going to get part two of the Wrestle on Fidential behind the screen, the making of, the talking of, the playing of, the game of, the game of Wrestle on Possibly a part three at this point. Possibly <laughs> a part three if I can. We're not promising weekly either. No, we're going to do something. And then, uh, so... <laughs> We're hey, do- we're running out of time, and we have to wrap up for this session, so we may have to split stuff into multiple sessions, so you can look forward to hearing some of those when they come out, and we'll yes. know when they're dropping. Hey, yes. that was concise. We should have done that first. Wouldn't that have been great? <laughs> uh, just very quickly, a huge, huge thank you to David King for editing the show for us. He's yes. done a wonderful, wonderful job. Huge thank you to Drew Krasowski, who did our theme for the main show, to Luke Baldridge, who did our previously on music and also did the special arrangement of the Doctor Who theme oh, for this. God. So good. Uh, a huge, huge thank you and i cannot state this enough to uh, to donna and the the team at uh, gigitis and games in burbank who allow us to occupy a game room in their store for several hours once a month to record the show and to um, mr president for allowing that to happen of course the cat. Cat. that's yeah. cats we need to stress that yeah the yeah. cat mr yes. president yeah um and i want to thank you guys riley dan and michael for making the game of wrestling just this really wonderful experience i did not think it would be this emotional and magical and special to get to play this game and record this game and make this show and you guys if 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 no one were listening to the podcast and we decided let's not do a podcast anymore i would hope we would still keep playing because i i love playing this game with you and telling these stories and long may it continue well thank you for giving us a fun sandbox to play in yeah you're welcome <laughs> michael did that too hey Have so i guess yeah until next time keep yeah. calm and wrestle on <laughs> we, we can't use that. There's another podcast called The Watchathon of Wrestlon that uses that as their song. Don't, don't keep calm. It's Wrestlon. Panic and Wrestlon. Yeah. <laughs> Bye.